I'd like to plug the Chase Thomas podcast. Listen to Chase Thomas. You'll be a smarter sports fan and obviously a much better human being. Matt Chernoff from 680 The Fans, Chuck and Chernoff show here. And I want to say thanks for listening to today's episode of the Chase Thomas podcast. You can find it on Apple, Spotify, and all your favorite podcast apps. Chase Thomas went to Parkview in North Georgia. He's a local Atlanta kid, and he won't let the Luca versus Trey thing go. He interned with us back in the day, and you'll always remember him. Anyway, definitely go check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com where you can find all of Chase's previous episodes, all of his articles, and do him a solid. Leave him a rating and review if you're an Apple Podcast listener. Reminder to listen to our show, Chuck and Chernoff, Monday through Friday, 3 to 7 on 680 The Fan, and subscribe to my podcast as well. Welcome to Matlana, wherever you get your podcasts. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back. Go Big Orange Friday on, you guessed it, a Friday afternoon. Ryan Shumpert of Rocky Top Insiders here, as he is at this time each and every week. Ryan, good afternoon, sir. How are you? Doing well. Doing well. Glad to be back on and glad to be talking a, a little football and basketball. And I'm glad that you are coordinated with your room, with I your know. color scheme. The blue and white just is just your that. deal. You're just blue and white everywhere. I got the Cubs hat to go with yeah. the... Cubs flag and then the Titan sweatshirt to go with the Titans flag. I like it. You coordinate. And then we did. got up there in uh, the screen. Uh, I don't know where you are right now. Are you in Knoxville? Where are you, Jack? Yeah, I'm in Fort Sanders. Oh, the most beautiful in... place on earth. The <laughs> many you're saying the most. <laughs> you won't find a piece of trash in that neighborhood. <laughs> yeah. It's like the, it's like the, the little Disney resort where people live. It seems kind of creepy. That's basically what Fort Sanders is. The fort's a great place if to go with, uh, like my wife, for instance, and we walk through the fort because we would park sometimes over there for, for football games. And she would just point at different things of like crazy, different crazy shit she saw in the fort where she's like, oh, I remember. It. So this is where that guy died and got revived. <laughs> and just, like that's, uh, that, that's, that's walking through the fort. You never know what you're going to see, but it's, uh, it's a fun time. My favorite uh, fort story, it's like sophomore year, mm. Friday night, I was covering some, you know, doing something for Daily Times cover, I can't remember, some high school football game in East Tennessee, and then I went and picked up my roommate, you know, he'd been drinking somewhere at a friend's apartment before, and there's that school, it's not even an elementary school, I'm not sure what it is, but there's some school in the middle of the fort, yeah. mm-hmm. and I had, to, I had to pull over by the school, and he jumped out and threw up in, in the yard of the school. <laughs> There you I, go. My favorite fort story is after Tennessee, Alabama. Um, mm. I mean, I think we all had a little fun after, on that night. And, uh, you know, just, just having my friend assist me and basically drag me through the fort back to his apartment. That's that's forever going to live in my brain is my favorite fort memory. Because it was from, like, all the way on one side to the other. So it was a total trip. But, yeah, fort has a lot of good memories. But you made it. That's how oh, I made it. it. I made that's it. important yeah, thing. Nice and sound. My last four thing this year was like um, when I broke my foot and went to the Tennessee Florida game. I that's as far as I made it because we parked at the fort and I got. How did you not get dropped off? Huh? How could you not swing somebody into dropping you off? Well, just... it's a long story as to why the whole drop off situation did not go. Okay. Uh, look, get married, Ryan, and then talk to me. <laughs> like, get married Fair. and then talk to me. And I uh, I was walking as far as i could and we stopped at that uh asian restaurant and i just i gave up 
at, at that corner. <laughs> I was like, I am going to start breaking down crying, and I can't do that as a 31-year-old man. So I we, we have to stop. This is where my journey ends. I don't care if I have to stay here forever if I'm now just a fork creature, but that is what's going to happen because my body cannot move any further than where I'm at. But that's, uh, that's what happened. The fort's a fun time. It's a fun time. Um, speaking of Fort Sanders, Walter Nolan um, teasing. <laughs> no, but uh, Walter Nolan uh, teasing Tennessee interest in the portal. Ryan, you wrote about it on Rocky Top Insider. Um, over 50% or under under 50% that Walter Nolan is a Tennessee volunteer after the spring transfer portal. Well, I didn't write about it for one. Rick, 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 oh, well, wrote, Rick about wrote about it. it. There you go. We did write about it. Okay. I say over fifty percent. To me, at this point, Walter Nolan at Tennessee, I'm have to say it to believe it. And even if he does enter the portal, I think that'll be an NIL game. It was an NIL game coming out of high school, and who knows what his value will be after? Well, it's a probably a solid but not great freshman season at Texas A&M. But mm. the way Tennessee has recruited there, the way Tennessee's already added Omar Omar Norman Lot from Arizona State. I have a hard time thinking Tennessee would be one of or would commit NIL-wise what they would have to commit to, to get Walter Nolan, even if he does in the transfer portal. But Nolan, to this point, has been it's been all about the drama. So I'm going to have to see any of that to really believe it. Jack, what do you think? Uh, Brian hit the nail on the head. It was an NIL thing. Of course, A&M Tennessee went down to the wire with him, but he chose to go to Aggieland and yeah, if he transfers, I don't see it being Tennessee just because of the players they've invested in already. They're, it feels like they're already set. They don't need to bring in someone of that caliber. And, yeah, with the whole Walter Nolan thing, it does feel like there's just been too much drama with this situation from the very beginning. So I don't – I see why Tennessee fans would think that and want that, but I don't think it's a big deal uh, that, it, you know, even if Walter Nolan – started teasing Tennessee even more. I don't think it's going to happen. I, I wouldn't follow down that trail. I mean, if he opens the door, you have to do your due diligence. Like he's just too Certainly. talented where you like, if he opens that door in the spring, like I think you have to, even with Omar and Norman lot and the group, the rotation that you have, you can't just go, well, we've got X amount of guys. So we we can't, well, there's no room for Walter Nolan. It's like, well, no, we, we watched the trenches and the Georgia game and some of the other bigger games. Like, now there's room. <laughs> if Walter Nolan wants to jump in the boat, like hey, Walter Nolan, we can have a conversation about jumping in the boat. Um, I don't know. I just, I he's like one of those guys too that with Texas A&M, the, the styles are so different. Where Tennessee's speed and the rotation and just how many snaps he has to be like, I don't know if he would want to be a uh, a part of what you have to do as a defensive lineman at UT and just kind of what is expected of the defense because very different offense with A&M and how much you're on the field uh, on it at A&M versus at uh, at Tennessee. Maybe it's different though by Petrino. Maybe they, they do play with a bit more tempo and it's a completely new look offense and uh, it's more similar to what they're doing at Tennessee. You never know. But um, I do think it's interesting. It's something worth monitoring in just the portal era that, hey, uh, come spring he might jump uh put his name in the portal you get two weeks or whatever it is and you just we got to see i think it's something to monitor at the very least right because there's more more of a track record and it's like would he have gone to tennessee if tennessee was had the season that they just had a year ago like so if he was in the 2023 class would he be a tennessee volunteer right now that's something that you would that you kind of wonder because of how much success they just had 
Exactly, and how much success Texas A&M didn't have. I mean, they right. didn't even make a bowl game. So, mm-hmm. yeah, people forget that. Yeah, and they were what? What are they sixth in the preseason poll? I yep. mean, I had them in the playoffs. Yeah, so did Desmond Howard. Yeah, you and Desmond Howard both. <laughs> my thing, yeah, my yeah. reasoning was sound. My rationale was sound. <laughs> you know, we're not getting into it. We're not getting into Texas A&M. They they disappointed me. They're dead to me. They were almost in the playoff. What three years ago? Two years ago two in years the twenty twenty season. They were. Yeah, they just season. missed the cut. Just missed the cut. Um, but we'll see. We'll see what happens with Walter Nolan and Texas A&M. But definitely something. Uh, worth monitoring um, just a little bit. Um, what do you know about the preferred walk-on at quarterback, Jack? Yeah, so I actually know him pretty well. He attended my high school, Henry yeah. County High School, from Paris, Tennessee. Got to represent. Um, there you go. Yeah, so he shattered all of Henry County's records. He started all four seasons. Um, mm. Took a, took. I'm going to say us because it's my high school. He took us to the semifinal Class 5A um, game three years in a row. Um mm took us to the quarterfinal in his freshman season that was my final year in high school i remember that loss it was brutal to dyer county but you know last two years took it to the semifinal lost to page both times he's he's very talented he's got a good arm and ryan and i mentioned this on the rti podcast yesterday the only reason he probably wasn't as highly recruited is because of his height he's sitting mm. around 511 510 six foot in that range he's just under six foot um, but but he's talented, and um, it's nice to see someone follow their dreams because I've known he's always wanted to come to Tennessee, had a scholarship offer from ETSU, could have easily gone about an hour and change east, but he chose to come to Rocky Top, and you got to respect that. Yeah, for sure. And it, he's the kind of guy that I think Ryan and I, we were talking about, like just Tennessee was going to have a hard time getting the kind of transfer quarterback who is just going to sign up for um being just the backup and not really having an opportunity to play because like you're even gonna have to fight for get to beat out guests and more who's been in this offense for years and um someone hype will obviously trust and that sort of thing and um it does feel feel a need and as jack said he does have a lot of stetson, stetson bennett in him like he's the, the height the the accuracy just the high school accolades um stetson bennett 2.0 from jack foster but um Ryan, what do you make now the QB room? Do you feel better with this addition, or are you still kind of, eh, well, we, they could still do more. Where are you at with the QB room with this addition? Yeah, I still think they need another uh, another more experienced name or, or more experienced player. I like I like the move a ton for the long-term aspects mm. of it because of everything we talked about a few weeks ago, where it's just going to be so hard to keep three or more scholarship quarterbacks on your roster. And I think having a guy like that who is committed to the program, who is talented, and having that option as a guy down the line, that's great. Mm. You can't expect this kid to be able to play as a freshman. You can't. That's, that's asking way, way too much out, mm-hmm. out of him. Even if everything you know hits the fan, it's going to be gassing more over him this year. So I think in the short term, you, you still need to add somebody, see what's available after spring. Uh, that seems to be the option. But in the long term, He's the type of guy that you should almost be trying to find in at least every other class because mm. of all the issues that every school in the country is going to have about maintaining quarterbacks. And, and having a guy uh, like him, I think, is really could be really beneficial down the line. And you never know if it's going to end up being something where he has to play or not. But I think there's certainly a sense of security in, in having someone like that in your program for four years. Yeah, yeah, this is also a guy who uh, went, I was going to say, I covered him, covering um, 
two years ago, I covered the Elite 11 just for my job. And then this past year, it was Nico was there in Nashville. And mm-hmm. Ryan Dameron was at the Elite 11 both of those times. And uh, the first year I was there, he actually impressed. And in the class of 2023, 20, that class that they had, the younger group, he actually mm-hmm. placed in the top three at that tournament. So he impressed as a junior in high school there at that tournament. And then he did pretty well this past year as well. So, you know, he's a guy that's done camps, that's been around, that has a lot of experience. Cam Newton, seven on seven, he's done that. So hmm. he has a lot of experience under his belt, you know, more than just high school quarterback. It is interesting too. It's like everyone was just like really good player. And if he's like three inches taller, then he's got a real shot right. playing. And it's like, well, I don't know. Stetson Bennett, 5'10", 5'11". We've seen guys like that. Maybe uh, you never know. Uh, high upside. You you put him in the disciple offense for a couple of years to learn and that sort of thing. You never know. Um, obviously, a lot's gone wrong if he's played this year. If, if, <laughs> if he's getting some snaps this year, then a lot has gone wrong for Tennessee. But I don't know. I still... I think it's kind of odd the way that a lot of folks still talk about the Tennessee quarterback room and like why it's going to be hard to get like one guy in the uh, in the portal this year where it's like the Nico factor. But I'm like, if you're a grad transfer quarterback still, I I don't know. We, we just saw it. Like we just saw this with Hendon and Joe where it's like, are you certain that they would go with a true freshman over you if you were a grad transfer who had a lot of production in the past? And like, if Joe struggles, do you really think that you can't beat out Joe Milton in the spring? Cause it's going to be an open competition. I don't know. I think that's been kind of strange to me that that has been a thing. That was kind of one of the weird things to me about Taven was, and that I might write about this this weekend, but um, it's just, I think there's more opportunity uh, than a lot of folks are letting on. And I think it being an open competition, and I really do think it's open, I think the hope with Nico is him not to play. So if you're a grad transfer, you only need one year to ball out in Heupel's offense to get a serious look at the NFL draft. I still think this is an attractive spot if you're only looking for a one-and-done, um, just high-octane, high uh high-efficient year. I mean, we just saw what Lane Kiffin did in Ole Miss. Like, he brought in a couple of those guys to compete, knowing that you don't... <laughs> there's nothing settled here, and you're gonna, if you are starting in my offense, you're going to put up numbers. I think Tennessee should be able to sell the same thing. So I've just kind of pushed back against that narrative that it's going to be hard, because I'm like, Nico's down the road. I think you can get an older player to compete with Joe in the spring and summer, um, because you've already seen it. Joe lost the job already uh, two years ago. Like, if you're a really good player, you should believe that you can beat out Joe Milton for this job. Yeah, I'm not <laughs> sure. I, I agree with much of what you said. <laughs> I mean, I, I see what you're saying. Well, you mentioned the Ole Miss situation. They took the young guy, they yeah. got him signed, and then the next day later they added the, the senior who, I mean, they they played the game extremely well. It's a yeah. classic. Mislead the young guy and then bring in the old guy and, who can have that one year. And Walker Howard's not Joe Milton. Walker yeah. Howard's not Nico Iamaliava. So to me, it's I guess your logic I think is – Decently sound, but I think when you apply it to the specific pieces out there, uh, I'm just not sure you're going to find many people that are going to take that risk. And maybe yeah. I'm wrong. Maybe maybe there is someone out there that has supreme confidence in herself that would, but especially at this point, yeah, you know, the, the top guys are already gone. Doesn't it just feel like Tennessee and Joe Milton are too far down the road for Heupel to add a grad transfer and then start him potentially? Like, I, I just feel like this relationship is too far down the road for Milton to get beat out by another dude in his final year of eligibility when Milton himself is in his final year of mm-hmm. eligibility. Like, this is Milton's chance. And I feel like Tennessee is going to give him that chance. And I feel like yeah. he knows that. And it's mutual, right? Like, Nico's going to be there to add a little push. But if they add somebody, I don't 
I don't think it's a big name that has one more year that could really compete for a starting job. I think it would just be for depth purposes if they add a transfer portal guy. Um, and, you know, you look at what Michigan did last year, what Ole Miss did last year with Altmeyer and Dart. Michigan did it with McNamara and McCarthy to start the two quarterbacks. Like, you this drive, you this drive, or you this game, you this game. Tennessee's not going to do that. that. That's just not how I see them rolling. So I, I don't feel like they're going to add somebody, a grad transfer, to potentially take the starting job. And I, I, to Jack's point, they're so far down the road with Milton, and they've put so much confidence Exactly. the time that Hendon passed him and Milton decided to come back that we think he can be the guy. We think mm-hmm. we can develop him, and in 2023, he can be the guy. And with the trust and faith that locker room has in him, it's why I don't. they can talk all competition all they want. Joe Milton's the starter when they head the national to play Virginia next year. And if Joe Milton plays poor enough, that he loses that starting job, which I think all of us know that that's at least a possibility. How big a possibility? I'm not sure. Tennessee loses games early in the season that gets Joe Milton out of the job. The goals, the aspirations of making playoff, that's done. Let's move on to the future and get Nico reps. That's what that's that's what that's going to be. It's not going to be let's turn to a senior now mm-hmm. and see if we can scrape eight and four together. It's going to say, all right, we'll take our lumps with Nico. Let's have him ready to roll in 2024 and see if we can make a 12-team playoff in the first year. I just don't want to throw him in the in the fire. Like If he's having to enter the game for a non-injury-related situation, then the season's not going well. And that means there's a lot more pressure, and Tennessee fans are getting antsy. It's year three for Heupel. I just, maybe it's just me and like what I've seen from Joe Milton to this point where I'm like, I don't feel good about the quarterback room and the quarterback situation next year at Tennessee being uh, bet on Joe Milton. And then if things don't go well, then true freshman Nico Yamaliava, um, just trying to keep things afloat down the stretch here. Like, I don't I don't feel great about it. I, I think it's it's a little more risky than I think uh, some folks may uh, anticipate with this fall because we still I mean, Joe is fine in the orange ball. He was fine. But this offense is going to struggle to score points a little bit. I think it's not going to be as seamless as what how Hendon made everything look. And Hendon was just so good with his legs. And Joe was still kind of a statue in the pocket. And we'll see if he does more stuff on third down to extend drives. I mean, he took there was a lot of three and outs in that Orange Bowl. And if you go back through and watch it, like it's just going to be more clunky. Like he'll have those squirrel white bombs, and you'll still have the explosive plays next year. But I think it's going to be a lot more clunky of an offense and more more pain um, watching this offense. And we haven't seen it like I, I joke with Ryan Jack on this show because like I like go to these games and sit uh, in the stadium, and Harrison Bailey chants were insane when Joe Milton started uh, two years ago. Like everything around me, people were just screaming to get Joe out of there. With Nico now in the fold, who is a, a little bit more of a big name than uh, Harrison Bailey, I don't think folks and even the coaching staff can be ready for this, or Joe can be ready for this, of just how insane the fans are going to be when it comes to Nico. He is the number one on three quarterback now. Everyone knows exactly who Nico is in Knoxville. Like I, whenever I see him in Knoxville, fans and kids are like stopping him. For photos like he is already a superstar like Nico Yamaliava is the most known Tennessee player on this team right now and he has not played a snap he is the Nico chants are going to be insane they are going to be brutal to this kid um to get him in the game sooner rather than later and I mean you can say all the right things because it's the off season of like Joe is our guy Joe is gonna be fun and all the fans are like we back Joe because like we all like Joe like I have nothing against Joe 
I hope he does well. That'd be great. He's like in the top 15 in Heisman odds preseason. Great. Like, I hope all that happens. I hope this is the breakthrough year for Joe. But he is like, this is a totally different ball game with Nico now behind him. And if that's your only, like Ryan's talking about, where it's like, that's just kind of, if Joe doesn't work out, then it's a rebuilding year and we just got to get Nico reps. I just, I think there's going to be an unbelievable amount of pressure on Joe and Hypel and this staff this year because the Nico conversation and these fans are going to be relentless whenever Joe struggles. 100%. I, everything you said is right. I think if you're 100% bought in to Joe Milton being great, like that would be foolish. It, it yeah. really would be. But I think, and that's why I wrote about it when the transfer portal opened, regular season was over. Tennessee should go after a quarterback. Yeah. And Spencer Sanders was the guy I, I thought Tennessee should go after. But obviously yeah. that didn't happen. And I've said it since the time Nico committed that I felt bad for Joe Milton because he was so hated, so, yeah. so hated in 2021, especially when he ran out of bounds in that last play against Old. Yeah. So hated. And he worked himself back into good graces by being a good teammate, by <laughs> frankly being friends with Hendon Hooker, honestly. Yeah. honestly. Wait, and did you know that? They were roommates. <laughs> they cook. They have dogs. Mm-hmm. Anybody, mm-hmm. anybody know? And then you're absolutely right. The first time he struggles next year, everyone's going to be screaming for Nico yeah. where I think your point where I think it's going to be different and maybe the pressure is a little bit not off Milton but off Hypel they won 11 games this year since yeah. you went nine and three last year you're right there'd be a lot more pressure to have a good season I think most people are going to be if it does end up being a rebuilding year and you don't bottom out you go eight and four I think people are going to be understanding enough that doesn't mean people won't be screaming for nico because that's just the reality of what it's going to be with tennessee fans but i think there will be enough confidence in what hypo is doing enough confidence in hypo that things aren't going to bottom out being the crap's not going to hit the fan per se so to me that's where i think it's almost a completely different conversation and hypo would have to play it differently if they didn't have such supreme success on the field this past season yeah, I mean, if if your expectations for Tennessee this season are to make the CFP or to win 10, 11 games again, then I could see a scenario where it really starts to become a burden for Josh Heupel with the fans calling for Nico and stuff. But Don't we think like fans mo- think that? I think most fans are expecting, like, that should be where Maybe we're at. Maybe a 10-win season, yeah. but, like, to win the East, is if that's your expectation. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's... No, I yeah, don't I don't feel like there's that's a reasonable lot- expectation for... I don't feel like that's what the consensus. My gut is it's a rebuilding year. I don't know if that's the media. All, it seems like the media think it's a rebuilding year. And then I'll like text my family and they're all like, we better be in the playoff next year. Like we better keep building. And I'm like, I think there's well, a disconnect in how Tennessee fans see. They're like, we won 11 games this year. We got a great recruiting class that should help the depth. We did really well in the portal. We should keep this thing humming. Like we should now win 12 games next year. Like that's, uh, they just think it's like, it's, um, uh what am i blanking on the word um that's linear. Uh, why am i blanking why am progression I blanking? is linear linear yes there you go that <laughs> it's just the the progress yeah, is linear that now you did this so then you go this that's where a lot of things are great jesse simonson line yeah. progression is not linear in college football no but fans don't see it that Fan, way yeah no you're right but i, I don't think even the, no they're not the wildest but even the most optimistic fans i think 10 and 2 is what yeah. they see. I don't think it's 11 and 1. What does your gut tell you right now? I'd be not I guess 9 and 3. 8 and 4 okay. or 9 and 3 would be my would be my prediction. Is here. Joe starting every one of those games? 
yeah, I, I'll go. I'll go with yes. Okay. And, and yes. I do think one thing that's important to look at is the schedule softer. It, yeah. it just it's it's a soft schedule. I mean, I want to say it's soft. I think it's harder than last year. I do too. Maybe the UTSA Jack and I are on the same page. I think it's harder than last year. You go to Florida this yeah, time. Yeah, your layups aren't as easy, and you no. go to Florida and Bama. You go to Kentucky, too, who I think is going to be better. You get A&M at home. To me, that's a much, much easier game than going to LSU. I know you're a big A&M guy over there, Chase. You love you. <laughs> no, you're right. Fisher. That is easier. I mean, that's easier, but, but you're non-conference. UConn's good. UConn just went to a bowl. Like, that's going to be uh, like, hey, they should beat UConn. You go to Mizzou. You should beat Mizzou. You get Georgia at home, which is good, but you got to go to Alabama. That's just like, go ahead and pencil that one in. That's a loss. But at Kentucky and Bama, back-to-back, it's just, that's a lot. Um South Carolina is the one that I would just go ahead and say. I think they beat South Carolina by 40-plus, but, like, that's just... (laughs) Yeah, they get them early this time. Oh, my God. Shane Beamer's only good late. Also, why does that game switch? Why is it when it's in South Carolina, Tennessee plays them at the end of the year, and then when it's (laughs) in the beginning of the year, they have to play at Tennessee? Why do they do that? I've also already analyzed the SEC schedule that week, and Uh the theme of every single time Tennessee goes to Columbia it being a night game and every single time it's in Knoxville it being a noon game is going to yeah. continue. It's, it's going to be – it's not going to be a primetime game. It's, it's Which a is good. SEC, it's SEC slate it's that It's going to be hot. It, it's going to be, once again – I mean, it's genuinely unbelievable. Tennessee yeah. at home in Neyland Stadium against South Carolina, it refuses to be a good, good game time for the home <laughs> team, and it's mm. night game every single time it's in Columbia. Which probably yeah. just goes to your point that it's later in the year, and that's usually how it lines up. The the schedules are a little bit the SEC schedules are softer than, and you don't have as nearly as good many good matchups as you do whatever it is this year, the first week of October, maybe yeah. last week of September. Also, Virginia would be a little bit better. It's the neutral site; you should beat them. But like at Florida is a toss up. At Kentucky, like I think they split those. I don't. Know, I think they beat Kentucky, but at Florida, I I, I don't feel great about it. Like I think that's a that's one of those where. That's when the Joe Milton stuff will start. And then UTSA yeah. is a really good group of five team. A really good one that you play right after that at home. Like, I don't know. I think the schedule's harder. I think there's really not a lot of give-me's outside of Austin P. I think even the ones that Tennessee should be favored and be fine, I think will just they're good they're good teams. Like they're just gonna have to beat a lot of good teams to get to nine and three. Stop the UConn it? talk right now. I'm sorry. I can't sit Come here and take, and take us seriously if we're going to act like UConn has a chance to come into New York State. I'm not saying they come a chance to I'm win. Sorry. I am not doing that. I am not saying they have a chance to come win. I'm just saying it's another good team on the schedule. I am saying UConn is a good football team now. Jim Mora has turned that ship around. That's all I'm saying is he's turned it around. Like they're not a dumpster fire coming into New York. They're not a dumpster fire, but there's a big difference between dumpster fire and good. And yeah, they're I'm not somewhere just, hold on. The they're good. They're, hey, they're fine. They hung with Marshall. They're they're fine. There you go. I'll give you their fine, but don't sit here and tell UTSA me is like good. you did six times. UTSA UT- is good. Completely agree with that. Mm. That's I don't like it. Like UTSA right after Florida? You can sell me on, on UTSA being a really tough game, bad spot. I'll buy all of that. Can I give you... <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and say talk. Joe doesn't last past UTSA. What? I don't think he lasts past UTSA. I think that's, that's where he gets hit. Is the UTSA-Florida game. Like that back-to-back... Where if Tennessee drops Florida and Joe plays poorly, and then he struggles in a shootout against yeah. UTSA, and like UTSA is balling I, out, 
and Joe, like the Nico chance for UTSA in the stadium. I can't wait for that one. I've just talked myself. This is what's happening. I just, I've already seen it. All right. I, I called the schedule hundred percent last year. Ryan can attest to this. I said 10 and two, yeah. they, a dumb loss to South Carolina and they would split Georgia and Alabama. That's what I called last year. I think this year it's like seven and five. And I think UTSA wow. fans turn. It's hundred percent where you drop the Florida game and it's another close, terrible game. And Joe, it's a bad ending. And fans are like, oh, my God, this is not happening all over again. And then the next week, you get UTSA at home. And you're like, oh, crap. They don't even get a cupcake to bounce back. They get UTSA, who comes in and scores 45. And Joe has to just survive in a shootout. And he can't do it. So then they have to put in Nico to beat UTSA at home. I don't think he makes it through UTSA. Wow. And then it's Nico from the rest of the way. That I don't is even think it's bold, but I I don't think it's like unfathomable. Like I can I can completely see that playing out where you see struggles at Florida, mm. and I, I feel I have such a dilemma on the Florida game because man, am I low on Florida's football team next year? I am like, I'm, I'm low on everything outside of the Tennessee game. Like I just think ten, like, yeah, Tennessee but, at Florida. Tennessee, just... game, Tennessee at Florida. How could you Tennessee at Florida? Joe Milton in his first big start. Yep. How could you feel like complete confidence? So I'm with you there. And if you lose that game, I could 100% come back, let down spot against UT, a good UTSA team, and he struggles early. Like I, they got like a seventh year quarterback, Frank that. Harris. <laughs> like yes. I, he's gonna play better than Joe, and I think it's just gonna people are gonna lose their minds when the Roadrunners are up like 17-7 at the half, and we're like, oh my god, what are we doing? What are we doing, hype? What are we doing? <laughs> yeah, I don't, I, I, don't, I don't think that's crazy. I really, I don't think it's an insane take by him. Okay, my thing is, what has Joe Milton done to create this pessimism? Well, he hasn't. Like, I mean, what's... what? <laughs> Ryan is... <laughs> Ryan, what... what? I, what? Is this a, is I mean, did I watch the same Orange Bowl that y'all did? Yes! He was fine. He was, he was fine. He was pretty good. And yeah. he, blew, he blew me and Chase's expectations out of the water. Yeah. But he's got seven, six... I don't know how many games he started in Michigan. Yeah. He's got seven other starts in his career where he was bad. Yeah. Uh, the majority of what we've seen from Joe Milton is not good. I agree. Yes, definitely. But what you've seen I, recently. I, I'll that was a bowl game. I, I don't know. Yeah, I like being stage. out here talking. I like talking with Chase because he makes me look like a Joe Milton believer. And sometimes I feel too <laughs> negative. About, I feel like I'm too negative about Joe Milton. Then I get here on here and talk about Chase. And okay. I'm like, maybe I'm pretty high on Joe Milton in comparison. I'm going to send in a request uh, for... Uh, Bill Martin be like, hey, can I get Joe? And he's like, absolutely not. You're you're on the permanent block list for Joe Milton. Like, absolutely not. And it's not even that. It's like, I just, it's not, he's not making it. Like, any Tennessee fan, like the Heisman stuff, you're just throwing money away. If you put any money towards Joe Milton for the Heisman odds, like, ooh, plus 2,000 or whatever it is, you just burn some money. Like, it's not happening. Tennessee's not going three for three in the quarterback market like this. Like, you don't see that very often. Of just like Alabama, where they just—it doesn't matter who's under center; they're going to be fine. I don't think that's the case uh, with Tennessee. It's just Joe Milton is an amazing story that everyone walks on eggshells. Like I don't like talking about it with other Tennessee fans at this point because the first thing people say is, "Man, he's such a good teammate." Like he, <laughs> and I'm like, "That's Hinton's gone. Like, what are we doing? Like, it, I I get that I, you can root for the person and like feel he's a feel good story, but like." What have you actually seen? Like, let's bypass that beginning part of the conversation of, hey, he's a good teammate. And, like, he's he's he was just really good for Hendon and was a good sounding board. And when Hendon had questions and wanted to watch film, he would he would go do it with Hendon and that sort of thing. And they were good for each other. It's like, okay, got all that. 
But what have you seen? Like, he still ran out of bounds against Ole Miss. He's still, I mean, the deep ball shots. Like, he he was struggling um, in the Orange Bowl. Like, he had a couple, but like I was talking about earlier, like, you go back and watch. There's so many where he took some bad sacks. Um, he had a lot of three and outs. He It's not the Hendon efficiency. Like, Hendon was just a totally different Heisman-level quarterback. And I just think Hendon's a much better player than Joe. And I think it's just... It's going to fall off. Like, I, I, the offense is going to fall off, and I don't know if Tennessee fans – like, I'm not saying it's going to go from, like, first in the nation in scoring to, like, 37th, but do I think it will probably go from, like, first to, like, 20th with Joe? Somewhere around there? Yeah. And Tennessee fans are going to get antsy. I think what will be interesting to see from Tennessee this year is how much more they lean on the run game because yeah. all three top backs are coming back. Mm. They're all – Trying to have to. great years. Yeah, and I, I think Josh Heupel's offense will switch more towards not necessarily a ground-and-pound offense, but they will run the ball more, and I think they'll run it well. Yeah, yeah, I, that's exactly <laughs> what I was about to say, and I think that's one thing that when you talk about, Chase, the lack of sustained drives in mm. the Orange Bowl, that clubs the defense, and that clubs the run defenses. You know, Tennessee's not going to see too many better next season. Mm. I mean, they'll probably see a couple, but Tennessee is going to be able to sustain – they're going to have to, granted – but I think they're going to go to sustain drives a lot, a lot more running the football than they did in that Orange Bowl game. I mean, it'll, you know, it'll be somewhere in the middle of what they did in the Vanderbilt game, where they could run the ball for thirty yards a play, seemingly in yeah. the Orange Bowl. But I do think that will go a long way in sustaining drives. And to Jack's point, I think how well Tennessee can run it consistently is going to be extremely, extremely important because you can't. Back to your point, Chase, you can't put. You cannot put it on Joe Milton expected to be like Hinton Hooker. And I think Josh Heupel and the staff understands that. That's the thing. That might be the – and this is a good point um, that y'all bring up because I think the way to get around the Joe Milton stuff is the wrong game to be amazing. Like if Jalen Wright and Dylan Sampson are both just running all over folks and they just make the leap in both ways, I mean, that does help. That does help a lot. But – um, we'll see. We shall see. Um, Tennessee, they finally hired a, uh, tight ends coach and he was already on the staff as an offensive analyst, uh, this whole time. Um, they had another coach on the road recruiting for, uh, the tight end spot. Uh, there's people like Deuce Robinson still out. Um, you're wondering for months if it was going to be Jeff Ferris, would it be Seth Luttrell? Um, would it be an outside guy? The focus was recruiting, 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 and that's not where they went they went in-house former offensive lineman for uh hypel at mizzou um alec how do you pronounce his last name abilin is it just abilin that's what i think but i'm not, okay. I'm not positive either yeah I, I haven't heard anyone say with confidence alex abilin gets promoted to tight ends coach um the early response from a lot of uh, other media folks has been why was he not on the road for the last month if this was where you were always going to go why do we take so much time Earlier in the offseason, you promoted Joey Halsley, which was a done deal uh, where they said like it was known, I think, before the Orange Bowl that he was going to get promoted to the OC spot. So that was already known. If the same was true with Alec, then why was he not just why not just do it together? Why not do it right after each other? If that's what your plan was at all, just the order of operations did not make sense for how this was rolled out. And I think if you're like it's one thing to promote Kelsey Pope and he's been fantastic uh, filling in for Cody Burns, but we've seen this all over the sport where when you promote this much from within, like mm, it doesn't usually go well. Like someone's going to get fired from this group. And I, I think eventually you have to still have some outside 
people in there. And I understand from the offensive side of the ball that Heupel wants to be protective of his offense and go with guys he trusts. But I don't know. I think for me, this is one of the first hires that makes me a little anxious about um, how they're going about recruiting and how they're going about building out the staff once they get picked off um, by other universities because I, I don't think this is sustainable, um, what they're doing right now. And we'll see how he recruits, but if Jerry Mack is not an elite running back recruiter, um, Kelsey Pope, I think at this point, deserves is probably the best recruiter on the offensive side of the ball, positional coaches. I think he's better than Glenn Ellery, and I think he's better. Um, and we just haven't even seen Alec. Like, he hasn't recruited at all yet. So you have a good running backs coach in Jerry Mack, but not necessarily like an elite uh, running back recruiter in that regard and then you have kelsey pope who i think uh, is well on his way and we'll see especially with this 2024 class uh who he's able to reel in because it seems like there's going to be at least one five-star wide out who ends up in knoxville this this time around but like i don't know um joey hall is a good recruiter um but i i i am a little bit more nervous about the staff going forward with this hire and i'm a little nervous about why it went this way in the hiring so i'm a little i'm a little dubious of how the order of operations went here and if this was kind of a a subtle disaster of an offseason on the coaching front uh ryan is that a little bit too too harsh yes i basically agree with everything you said okay i wouldn't go to the extent of disasters Mm. um puzzling he wasn't on the recruiting trail. Yeah. But, I mean, you mentioned Deuce Robinson. Tennessee's not, Tennessee's not getting Deuce yeah. Robinson. So no. it's not like they're – you were attacking – you were going hard after the, some tight end and you don't have your tight ends coach out on the road recruiting. To me, puzzling doesn't really add up. But to me, I agree with – it's the process of it and well, it's the thought process behind promoting them. We've talked about it on here a couple times where, to me, this is a, a – Oh, recruiting needed to be a recruiting hire. That should have been number one most important thing. I don't, you know, he's hyper so protective of his offense and wants guys in there to understand the scheme. And obviously, this is another guy that played for him, but it's a tight ends coach. Mm. It's a tight ends coach recruit. And Josh Heupel has done really well. Gonna win at the elite elite levels. You gotta start recruiting at the yeah. elite elite levels. Yeah. That doesn't mean you have to be number one recruiting class right up there with Georgia and Alabama, but you need to do what LSU did this year, where you're not yeah. far behind. You're four or five, and Heupel I think is recruited better than a lot of people expected, probably better than I even expected. And it's not like I'm panicking on what he, him and his staff can do there, but there feels to be to me. And I don't even know if I want to go out there. It, it has a little bit of a Dan Mullen vibe. Of, I was thinking the same thing. We, I'll out scheme. Mm. Good players, but we don't need great ones. And I'll out scheme us to a lot of wins. And Josh Heupel, I think, is a phenomenal coach. And I think he can out scheme a lot of people with good yeah. players to 10 wins. He's not going to out scheme. He's not going to out scheme Kirby Smart to consistently yeah, beating it. him year in and year mm-hmm. out. Right. It's just not going to happen. You win. You, it's the. The X's and O's are great, but the Jimmy's and Joe's winning national championships. And mm-hmm. I think they're a little bit of a reluctance for Heifel. It feels like he's staying in his, his trust tree and his comfort yeah. level a little bit right now. And he's earned enough trust that I'm not going to go to the extent of calling it disastrous or just hammer him over it. But I do think 
I wouldn't have gone in that direction if I was him. And I think it's all about knowing your blind spots as a coach, especially as a head coach. I mean, you're running an organization as big as an SEC football program. And I think maybe Heupel is missing that a little bit in this hire. Yeah, you'd like to see some – you know, I'd see him change it up, right, with yeah. him hiring these coaches. I mean, we've seen two, um, you know, inside hires, if you will, already with Pope and Halsley. One, we'll see how that happened or how it works out in this one as well. Ablin, by the way, is how you pronounce his last Ablin, name. Found the go. pronunciation on the website. So, there we go. I like Ablin. But, yeah, I, I would have liked to see a little mixture here of how he conducts his hires. But I, I don't think it's, like – Ryan said, it's not disastrous. And this tight end position, there was no big recruit they were trying to land or anything. We'll see how it goes on into next year. They got a lot of good tight ends coming in with um, Ethan Davis and the Bacallan Castle. So we'll see really how this group pans out this year. But, you know, you just don't want Hypo to be too stubborn with these type of things. So we'll just have to see how it goes. And I, I don't have a problem with either of those first you know, two promotions. The receivers in that room absolutely love Kelsey Pope. I mean, everyone Kelsey Pope's the home run here. Like that was yes. like the clearly like the right decision to do there. And Halsley is coordinator. Like, yeah, you should be worried about recruiting. You should be worried about a guy that knows your system and can run it well. And I like the fact that Hybel's going to call plays next year, and he's going to build Halsley into that role. They're just felt with this hire, the way it drew out so long and for yeah. so long they weren't even interviewing people. It just it, he seemed distant. He seemed disinterested to make the yeah. hire. That's and impressive. disinterested to make a radical change. And again, you got to know your blind spots. I think in spots you have to push yourself out of your comfort zones. And to me, this was the perfect spot to do it. Cause, and, he's, and he's been good at you know relinquishing control on defense and putting trust in those assistants. Yeah. So I don't want to act like he's some control freak. But over the offense, this felt like a, a great spot to get somebody else in. It's not an overly important coaching position and to really focus on recruiting. And again, this is... Not that this staff doesn't have, you know, Southern ties. Obviously, Rodney Garner is the best recruiter in the last 30 years in the Southeastern Conference. But there are still, and especially on the offensive side of the balls, ball, not a ton of guys with SEC experience, not a ton of Southern ties. Obviously, Jerry Max from Memphis, but has never coached in the SEC before. And I think you missed an opportunity uh, to add somebody like that to the staff. Yeah, I agree. I, I just I think it's going to be very, very interesting to see how this group re- uh, recruits because there's gonna they're gonna be under a microscope and like you said Heupel deserves benefit of the doubt because of the season he just had but if recruiting does dip a little bit and Tennessee does not build off on the offensive side of the ball if they don't build off uh, these wins and what they did this last one and they don't catch they don't have the blips where they get into that LSU the LSU zone right or the Florida zone or beat Florida one year and I mean it's always gonna be hard to beat LSU in Florida um, and Georgia and Bama like those are the big four that are always gonna be tough for Tennessee to be, and they were right behind those four. And it's like, if you're a Tennessee fan, I think most Tennessee fans get it, right? Like they get it if you finish behind those four most years, but you have to have some years where you beat at least two of them. And that's, uh, I don't know. We'll see uh, on the on the recruiting front how this all unfolds, but I am a little dubious uh, with the recruiting ties uh, in the South, like you uh, outlined here about um, the offensive talent and just, the Dan Mullen is not the personality, but the Dan Mullen vibe. Like yeah. I'm probably the best schemer, and I I'll turn all these good players into great players. And it's like the offensive line recruiting has not been great to this point. Like we, it's just not. And this class has like Sham. Hopefully, will be great, but they're relying a lot on the portal. Both uh, tackles this year might be 
portal guys. Their yeah. right guard's going to be a portal guy. Like, that has to change. Like, Gunn Elbury can be a good coach, but this is why the tight end hire could have been a recruiter. It is someone who could help in that ro- in that room and help land some of these important uh, tackles. And part of the issue is that the state of Tennessee doesn't have a lot of five-star tackles in it. And they have to go into Georgia. They have to go to North Carolina or Bama or wherever. And if you don't have any guys with those kind of ties, I mean, I just think you're going to run into some problems closing the deal on a lot of these guys. So I don't know. We'll see. I mean, I, I'm cautiously optimistic, but um, I think at the very least, it's something that to monitor over the next year, uh, especially on the offensive line front, because if they don't land some more big names in the offensive line category, then it's like we have a serious problem because then it's back to back years. And then it's like you've kind of hit a wall where if you really want to compete with the Georgias and the Bamas year over year, this cannot be the the offensive line uh, recruiting that you're putting together year over year. Speaking of recruiting, uh, Jordan Marshall visited again uh, would be a big get uh, if Tennessee can land him. He made, made the the balls made the top four for him. Um, Jack, do you think Tennessee will continue to struggle to land top running backs each year, or do you think Marshall could signify a change in how running backs view Heupel's offense and playing in this offense? Yeah, I mean, obviously this would be a big lane, and I think this year is going to be very telling. I mentioned it earlier. We'll see how much they run the ball this year. I think it'll be a lot more than what we've seen in the past, but we kind of saw it at the end of last year too, them really leaning on the running game, and now that they have three good backs, I feel like this year will be really good for them to show high school running backs and recruits that, hey, we can do it both ways. You know, we're not going to be a total air raid offense. We are balanced. We will run the ball. We will – and by the way – Jamari, Jamari Small, the amount of rushing touchdowns he's had in this Josh Heupel offense, it's one of the most underrated stats of this offense. So they're not afraid to run the ball. And I feel like the Jordan Marshall thing would be a big get, obviously, and would be a good, um, a good stepping stone, if you will, towards being able to recruit running backs at a high level. For sure. For sure. Um, should – this is the last football thing I want to ask. So, Ryan, I was thinking about this because I was listening to the Audible with Stu and um, – and uh feldman feldman yeah i was blanking on his first name uh feldman and bruce like uh, not a lot of bruce's out there and i was like bruce doesn't sound right when <laughs> it's just feldman um not a lot of stews either uh, in college football not yeah. a lot of stews and bruce's um but either way they were talking about tennessee and um just where recruiting is going with them and stuff like that and i'm curious from your perspective should tennessee fans if they build this like lincoln riley like if that's the best case scenario lincoln riley's ou where they they had the benefit of playing the Big 12, so they made more uh, CFPs because of that. But, like, if that was the best-case scenario for Tennessee under Hypel, should Tennessee fans be happy with a souped-up Lincoln-Riley-Oklahoma? For a decade, at least. Yeah. I mean, at some point, you get tired of it, and mm-hmm. you have to take a risk and push to get to the next level. But from where Tennessee's been in the last 15 years and – the fact that the playoff is expanding, even in the SEC, and I do, and I do think Tennessee is going to be better defensively. Obviously, there's always going to be defensive limitations when you're running the type of offense that Tennessee is. But Tennessee's, I mean, that's the most impressive part of their 2023 recruiting class. They recruited defense side of the ball really well, mm. probably even more impressively than offensive side of the ball when you look at some agree. of their short shortcomings at running back and and on the offensive line. So. Yeah, I, I think Tennessee fans should be good with that for a while. And I think in an expanded playoff, if Tennessee turns into Lincoln Riley, Oklahoma, they're going to make the playoff eight to ten years. And mm-hmm. I think they'll struggle to, just like Lincoln Riley did, 
maybe knock down that wall and make it to the national championship or who knows where that line will be. Maybe it'll be the struggle to make it to the, even make it to the semifinal. But I would think in that, you know, that scenario, if that's what the program is, you make the playoff eight out of 10 years, you make it to the semifinals two or three times. Maybe you give yourself a run at, at a national champion or, you know, making it to a national championship game and you give yourself a puncher's chance one year. Yeah. To me, you, you absolutely sign up for that. And maybe in 20, 20 for 34, if you can't get over that hump and you have some lean years, you say, all right, let's look to make a change. But I think in that case, you're one of the best at worst four programs in the SEC, and you're going to be giving yourself a puncher's chance every single season. After where the program has been in the last 15 years, I don't know how, how you wouldn't sign up for that. What do you think, Jack? Yeah, um, considering the – amount of down years Tennessee has had in the past decade. I think he would take that all day. That That's consistently winning a lot of games. Mm. And that's something Tennessee has not been able to do in 20 years. Yeah. Consistent so, relevance. Yeah, consistent relevance. So uh, I'm I, if I'm a Tennessee fan, I'm taking that all day. And consistent, just good quarterback play, I think is the most important part of this. Yeah, it's like Lincoln the underrated like part of Lincoln guys. that people were so hard. I'm like, he just had another high zone quarterback. Like <laughs> I don't like now, yeah. people are so hard on the Alex Grinch stuff and his commitment to him as his DC and like the tackling and like what that. But I'm like, he's still one of the five best coaches in college football. Like Lincoln Riley is still someone like South Carolina fans or Florida fans or anyone who dunks on Lincoln Riley. I'm like you would sign up for Lincoln Riley in a heartbeat. Lincoln Riley. Um, look at Sooner fans this year with Brent Venables this past year. Like, look at the question marks there. Like Lincoln, it's not just plug and play uh, in Norman. It turns out like Lincoln's pretty good coach, and Lincoln is a pretty good, uh, pretty good offensive mind still today. And I think if you could build that at Tennessee, I think with a little bit more upside on defense, I think we've seen a little bit more um, on the defensive side of the ball. And I think Tim Banks is a much better defensive coordinator than Alex Grinch to this point. And I think the run defense was really good for Tennessee this past year they showed they can do that it's a bend don't break it's how they do, handle the red zone how they handle uh just being on the field a bunch they rotate really well they're going to have more talent I think than Oklahoma could have had on the defensive side of the ball like Ryan said with just how they recruited that side this past year I think there's more optimism on that front but I think the main thing is like if you have enough if Heupel is going to develop good quarterback after good quarterback you sign up for that for a decade, like decade plus like that. That's just really hard to find those guys where they're the quarterback whisperer type where it's like, you know, what's fun having a good offense or a really good quarterback in today's game. Like if you have a good quarterback, you're going to feel like you're in it every single season. So if you go from Hendon to Joe for a year to Nico to the next guy, a four star who may not have the same kind of upside of Nico, but you're like, pretty good like and then maybe like with some grad transfers sprinkled in with the magical years like the hidden hooker types you'll take that 10 times out of 10 because we as like the three of us have watched a lot of tennessee football over the years and this era and like how much fun it is for folks to just watch the points and watch the high octane offense i think uh it's a lot of fun to win this way and to play football this way 100 percent, and i think a lot of what you just said is why I don't worry about like the UConn game and UTSA is good enough. That Again, you... I'm not saying I'm worried about the UConn game. I'm saying it's a tougher schedule than last year because the, you're plugging in UConn for like um, Tennessee Akron. Martin, like UT Martin. Akron. Yeah, the layups are... Akron, yeah. 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 The layups yeah. are way easier, Ryan. You can't deny that. I mean, yeah. no, no, they are. But my whole yeah. point is not Jeremy Pruitt. Tennessee's mm. going to score 40 to 50 points in those games yeah. and they're not going to lose them. This is not Jeremy Pruitt when 
they're beating Charlotte seventeen to three, and you're holding on for dear life. Like, I'm, not I'm just saying they have to. They can't walk games. through them. You cannot. Can't, you cannot just zombie your way through those games. Like, I don't think they really have Austin P as the only one where it's like we can play our player backups. Like, this is going to be a Nico snap game. Like, that's it for Nico, guaranteed for him this year. They can zombie their way to a thirty-five twenty-four win against UConn. I don't think so. Sorry, sorry. Sorry, Jim Mora. Sorry, I'm not scared of UConn. Sorry, <laughs> We're not I don't scared. Think- There's a middle ground here, Ryan. They have to play. Like, UConn is a competent football team. They have to be ready to play. It's not Ball State coming in there. Like, it's just not. It's not Ball State, and Tennessee mm-hmm. won that game by 60 points. I know. So, there's a middle ground, and the middle ground is Tennessee winning by 30. So, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time in the offseason thinking about UConn. Wow. Ryan Sue Shepard. me. Sue me, Jim Mora. <laughs> Not a puppy. Sorry, fan. Jim Mora. I'm sorry. Okay, Ryan has spoken, Jack. Ryan is not. We are on the same page though about UTSA, where I yes. just I'm I'm ready for that one. The building is yeah. going to be walking on eggshells when UTSA is going 35 to 31 in Neyland, and all the jokes on Twitter is like, is Tennessee about to drop this to UTSA? Is that what's happening? Um, because that's that's going to be a back and forth game. Is Vanderbilt their uh, third easiest game this year? Ooh. Uh, no. Virginia or Vanderbilt? Because I think UCSA is better than Virginia. Yeah. I yes, I think UTSA is better than both of them. Right. Yeah, I would go Vanderbilt third, third easiest game. Then Virginia four, UTSA five, Missouri six. South Carolina at home is in the top four. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. I mean, there's no doubt. Like, it's 65-7. Like, and I'm going to be... I uh, I should just record myself all that Saturday, like me walking around Neil and finding any South Carolina fan where it's like you'll pay for your crimes and it's, just like uh, it's gonna Chase, be a lot of fun walking Chase around. Chase is gonna be like the Scott Cochran video in Alabama. It's gonna be like forty nine <laughs> to seven Tennessee in the second half, and Chase is gonna be a section half of the stadium just going smash him, smash him, smash him, smash him. <laughs> that is that is gonna be Chase when one hundred percent. That is gonna be me. Um, they make me so mad. The fan base that drives me nuts. Like they're going five and seven this year. Back up. Um, <laughs> last thing, Tennessee basketball. So they lost uh, at Florida, uh, a trend like uh, any other for Tennessee. Usually, just in the football capacity, they go to Gainesville and lose. And it's another loss where they just could not score at all. Ziegler giveth, Ziegler taketh with some turnovers, some shots that just were not going in. But then he would come come back around with some awesome steals and. He does a lot. Like he was pulled a couple times angrily by Rick Barnes, but um, decided Jordan James couldn't hit anything. Vescovy couldn't hit anything. Um, it was just not their night um, in a lot of ways. But why, in your estimation, did Florida end up beating Tennessee they, the way they did, Jack? Yeah, I, and Ryan has said this multiple, multiple times again. But when Tennessee can't shoot and they can't drive, this is what happens. And your margin for error on defense is so, so small. Mm. And, you know, Florida had two kill shots, which is a 10-0 run in this game. Granted, you know, the first one, Tennessee's offense did them zero favors. So a lot of that is on Tennessee's offense. But late, when Tennessee takes a six-point lead with 10 minutes to go, if you're a top-two team in the nation, you're supposed to be able to finish that out. And they just couldn't do that. Florida goes on a 29-10 run to end the game. And that that's that's was the difference in the game. That right there. I, I don't care about the seventeen to four run to start the game. I mean, yeah, thirteen points was the win margin, 
And that was a 13-point lead to, to come out of the gate, but allowing that six-point lead to evaporate there in the last 10 minutes was the reason Tennessee wasn't able to hold on. And a cold offensive night, um, you know, in all areas, coupled with the defense not playing their most elite level, this is going to happen. What do you think, Ryan? I think they lost the way they did because, you know, by 13 points, because the defense collapsed. I mean, it was yeah. unbelievably uncharacteristic. I'm, I blocked out so much of the Colorado game. It was so long ago from my mind. But, the way, I mean, Tennessee's defense in the last 10 minutes, I can't imagine it's been worse in a long, long time. I mean, mm. just obviously Castleton dominated the combination of Campbell and Plossage, but the bad rotations, the bad transition defense, so that's why they lost the way they did. The way the reason it was close, the reason they had a chance to lose, is it goes back to the offense. And I think with this core – when you're two senior leaders who you rely on, who are no doubt good players, when they score the vast majority of their points on jump shots, you're just going to have nights like this. And they've never been able to get consistency from Olivier Kamwa and Yuris Plasage. It would be dumb to expect it now, in my opinion. And I think in a lot of games, the guy Ziegler can bail them out. He is the guy who can get to the basket. I think, one, it's a bad matchup because Colin Castleton's a phenomenal inside defender. And really, I like I like Ford's game plan of, all right, we're going to run often. We're going to go over to screens. Don't let Ziegler shoot the threes, but we're going to let him shoot the mid-range jump shots. And I think he missed a couple early, and his confidence was a little bit shaken. And the, what Castleman was able to do to take him away at the basket, and combined with the fact that the shooters were not hitting shots, and I think in some of these games you saw it in Mississippi State in the first half when Vescovy and uh, Key were out. I think Ziegler presses a little bit. He feels like he has to do a lot, and granted, he does have to do a lot. But he gets a, he plays a little bit out of himself, and I think you saw that at stretches in this game. And to me, there's more answers to there's more offensive answers this season when they miss shots. I wrote about this the other night. It, it the the scoring droughts. As much as the fans want to act like it's the same as last year, it's not. I mean, they they have had much 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 less of them, and it's even under the national average on the four plus minute scoring routes. Now, granted, they had three of them in the Florida game, and it was it was really really bad. They have more answers, but there's not a consistent one you can you know is going to be there every single night. I think Ziegler's probably getting to the basket's probably the best one, the most consistent one, but it isn't. You're not going to get it night in and night out. And I think if Tennessee is truly going to answer that question and have enough answers that you feel really good going into the NCAA tournament. It's going to be Julian Phillips turning, turning a page and hitting another gear because he has that athleticism. He has that length and he has more than anybody else on Tennessee's team and ability to get to the free throw line, which I, I think is obviously really important in games when you're not shooting it well. My thing is, can Drew Pimberg come back for the <laughs> tournament? Can we get him back for the tourney? Pick and pop I threes. saw a projection first round game last week, UNC Asheville, Tennessee. Oh my god. That would be something. That would be something. I he still is... don't I've I've thought about this a lot since Drew Pimber's unbelievable performance. I guess that was last middle of last week. Mm. I still don't think it would work at Tennessee. I just don't. I think Rick Parts would get so mad at the defensive the defensive issues that he wouldn't trust him enough. And right now, in not to say that he couldn't have success and couldn't score a lot of points at Tennessee. It's get it's the I can't remember the Michael Jordan coach before Phil Jackson. It's Get the ball to Drew and get out of the way at UNC Asheville right now. And that's never how it's going to be at Tennessee. I don't know. But... He's going to pick and pop three. Like, he's in the corner. Yeah. He's at the top of the key. Like, I don't know. Those shots, like, I Tennessee doesn't have a big who can shoot like Drew. Yes. 
but Rick Barnes will take the defense over the shooting. Yeah. But it's like, well, then some things are going to happen where Tennessee fans are going to be on a, just uh, just unnerved when the, you don't have guys like that. Like the five-out basketball that UNC Asheville plays, like when you're playing small like Tennessee does, like they still have four non-shooters. They have four shooters in the court and not five. Like there's stretches with UNC Asheville where it's just five shooters. Like there's never going to be a scenario where there's five shooters that you're confident in for Tennessee with this group. Yeah, but it's not like it's Euros out there. Someone yeah. who can't shoot. I mean, Olivier, he had a three the other night. He yeah. keeps he's he can shoot enough to keep people honest. Mm. Trying to fit, find the numbers right here. He's made he made thirteen threes last year. He's made nine this year. Again, he's not a great shooter, but yeah. he does enough that you have to respect him, and he, he's pretty good at that top of the key shot. And again, no Drew Pember. It's who Rick Barnes. It's who Rick Barnes is. Like you're not going to change it. No. And his priorities are going to be what his priorities are, and you should recruit. You should put the roster together together to those priorities, not what you want to see. Which I mean, I get that's probably frustrating for Tennessee fans, especially when they get to watch Josh Eiffel's offense all fall. Yeah, I don't think that helps. Um, well, in this uh, final predictions on Auburn uh, tomorrow, how do you think it goes? Does Tennessee win, and what is the score, Jack? Yeah, Tennessee wins. Uh, good okay. bounce back win. Um, defense plays well. Sky Ziegler continues to roll. I know on the stat sheet it wasn't the best night, but I didn't think he played that bad against Florida. I thought he was one of the bright spots, you know, here and there for Tennessee. So I think he has another great game. And Tennessee wins by, I'm gonna say by double digits. You know, I was I was hovering around the six to seven point win range for the Texas game, and they, you know, it should have been a 15 point win. So I'll say they beat Auburn by around 12. Okay. What about you, Ryan? I'll say maybe like a 68-60. I think Bruce Pearl always seems to have good defensive plans to come in and play Tennessee, and I, I think he'll have that uh, against Tennessee on Saturday. So I don't foresee a Tennessee game where they just go off offensively. But I look at Auburn's roster, and I don't see how to score it. I don't see how to yeah. I don't see how to score enough to win in Knoxville. Yeah, we'll see when we go down the road in Auburn. To, to challenge accepted, season. said the Tennessee. Auburn offense. may not get out of the fifties. <laughs> It could be like seventy-one to fifty-eight or something like that. Yeah, That'd I would. Nice. I would set the over/under for Auburn points. I really would. I. Mm. I. I think Tennessee's backcourt is significantly, significantly better. Obviously, Auburn has figured out some things over the course of the season. They've gotten better, but also have seen how important Jabari Smith was to that team last year, and how much they leaned on him, and how much better they would have been if Katie Johnson and Wendell Green weren't addicted to shooting the ball and got the ball to their best player in crunch time a lot more. Well, before crunch time, I should say. And how many games last how many games last year against average teams was Auburn down by they would fiddle their thumbs for thirty five minutes and they would be down by five and it said, All right, Jamari, go win the game for us and Jamari was usually good enough to do it. But it's it's I'm a I'm a big Bruce Pearl fan. I think he's a great coach. Last year was the worst coaching job in his in, in at least since he's been at Tennessee, since I've been following it. I, and obviously, it's a crazy thing to say. He got the team number one. They had a tremendous amount of respect or a tre- tremendous amount of success. But, man, they leaned on those guards too much. He gave them too much leeway. And they got into the NCAA tournament. They got absolutely ran because they had too much trust in those gar- guards. And Miami put them in an absolutely blender, an absolute blender and dominated them. Uh, I think Tennessee's guards have the ability to do the same thing on Saturday. There you go. Ryan, what can I check out from you and the team over at Rocky Top Insider this week? Yeah, plenty of stuff. Uh, I had two pieces 
looking at the basketball game, one kind of looking more macro at the offensive issues Tennessee has and how they're better, but there are still concern or cost for concern. And then I had another one kind of looking at Jack mentioned it. Tennessee went up by six with ten forty on the road. Great teams win, really good teams win that game. And to me, that was a little worrisome for the veteran group uh, that Tennessee has. So stuff on that. Well, I'll have plenty more looking ahead to Auburn and a ton. We have stuff on the. I already forgot how to pronounce his name. Jack, help me. The new tight ends coach. Oh, Alec Ablin. Ablin. Alec Ablin. We have stuff on, on that hire. Other uh, plenty of stuff from this, the Senior Bowl this week is Darnell Wright, Byron Young, and uh, Hinton Hooker down there. And we'll be getting you ready for Tennessee baseball as they, I guess, two weeks from today, the uh, first pitch out in Arizona. So uh, we'll have tons of stuff getting you ready for that in the next couple weeks. Yeah, stop going to games. Uh, hey, folks, um, I'm not a graduate student at UT anymore, so I need you to <laughs> – keep your ass at home so i can go to tennessee baseball games as much as i want to and not go bankrupt so um stop it that's uh that's that's my my take is stop it until the tickets are down until i'm okay i need you to stop it just check with me uh twitter.com slash chase double underscore thomas like just check with me before you keep filling up and buying all these tickets like alabama and a&m and stuff like let's let's settle down like let, let's settle down here because uh this is a little concerning for me uh jack what about you what can you plug as we wrap up here tonight uh yeah just more uh, rocky top insider content um I'll, ryan and i'll be in the house for the auburn game tomorrow so that'll be fun um wrote about hinden hooker talking to the titans that was the first team he talked to so maybe and then hooker's a future titan we'll see but uh yeah so tons of stuff over at rock top insider of course i'm still helping produce always college football with greg mcelroy monday wednesday fridays on espn college football youtube apple and spotify so be sure and check that out as well there you go uh the preferred podcast of uh of always college football the chase thomas podcast that's what many are saying um <laughs> jack yeah. ryan thank you as always and i'll talk to y'all both very soon sounds great All right, Preds Power Hour on, you guessed it, a Friday afternoon. Brian Baston of On The Four Check, a very good website that you should go and support. There's a GoFundMe for the good and great writers over at On The Four Check. Go do that today. On The Four Check, uh, GoFundMe, go support them if you can. Um, it's a great website and great hockey coverage uh, is needed and necessary and important and all of those things. So go support that of um, just that, uh, that platform and all the good folks who have been writing and creating great content like the two folks who are on this very program today like brian baston and jeff middleton brian good afternoon sir how are you i am awesome yes and thank you for mentioning the gofundme just real quick we launched that a few days ago um basically enough to cover the cover uh, staff coverage for the rest of the season and then an additional uh, thousand to for whatever the, the future incarnation of on the four check might be. Uh, and we're over halfway now. Uh, we got 30 donations so far. We're over halfway of our $4,000 goal. So please, 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 if you can, we'd love to get your support and let us know what kind of things you'd like to see in the future. Um, but I'm also very happy, uh, you know, in case you weren't convinced to, to save the website, just with me saying it, um, probably one of the best guys, we people we've got on the website entirely and other like seven other websites on the SP Nation Network uh, brought Jeff and he's awesome. How you doing, Jeff? I'm good. I'm good. You flatter me, but I'm doing I mean, well. I've seen your stuff, so it's like <laughs> I, I'm just telling the truth. But uh, yeah, thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. Of course. I'm glad to be here. This is good. Uh, I'm going to learn a lot uh, because like Charlie was like my novice buddy where like we like 
we watch Preds games and we we don't we we're we're still new uh, ish into hockey where it's like um, I grew up in Atlanta for full disclosure, Jeff, and like the Thrashers have been gone for a long time. And I used to go to the game. I still have a Believe in Blue Land shirt somewhere in this house, actually, that I will never get rid of. And like Ilya Kovalchuk and my guys back in the day. But um, it was one of those where I went to Tennessee and I was like, I, I'm adopting like I need to like I've been a homeless hockey fan because when your team leaves, uh, you're like, all right, well, what do I yeah, what, what do I do? Like, yeah. I, I don't really know what to do because I'm not going to be a Winnipeg Jets fan. Like I'm not not doing that. Nobody wants that. Um, <laughs> so that was uh, kind of the how the, the this program was built um, with smart people who cover the the Preds and know a lot. So like each and every week I get to learn. And Brian has taught me so much this season already. So <laughs> sure. I'm very, very excited because uh, uh, it's fun and it's kind of cool to learn more and more each and every week. So I appreciate uh, you coming on and uh, doing great work as well. Of course. Um, we get the All-Star Weekend, though, is coming up this weekend because uh, it's going to be busy. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, there's a Saros event. We're taping this on a Friday evening. So you see who has been just really the MVP of this Pred season to this point. Um, it's going to be fun for him. And uh, just to kind of get a break from putting the team on his back, though, uh, <laughs> Greg Jennings style. But um, what do you make of the Saros event tonight, uh, the game on Saturday? What are, what are you most intrigued by, Brian, with All-Star Weekend? Um, so yeah, so I mean, the game will be fun. They're doing it division three on three uh, format. So that'll be cool. And the central probably has the best goaltending tandem mm. uh, with, with Hellebuck and, and uh, Saros, which there should be. That's two of the top three, I think, for the Vesna this season so far. Um, remember, I did say before the season started or when the season started, when he was slumping, that he would be a finalist by the end of the year. So mm. But uh, the cool event that they're doing, and they're doing that tonight, uh, Friday night, is they're doing this thing for the goalies where it is called the Tendi, what is it called here? The Tendi Tandem uh, thing, where it sounds weird, but I promise you it's actually really cool. So mm. basically, they'll have all eight go- goaltenders. One of them is going to be assigned to be like the goaltender, like an actual goalie, and the other one is going to be a shooter. So mm. they're gonna, I'm guessing they're going to be at their own net. And they're going to take shots at the net and basically however many they get points for how close they are. Mm-hmm. And then based on their points, the other goaltender will have to face either one to four shooters coming at them on a breakaway, basically. And the four shooters are people from the uh, PHF and uh, the uh, WNHL. So that's I mean, that's really cool to see that. But with Hellebuck, I mean, I imagine Soros has to be the shooting one because hmm. he's got he's got Chris Mason and Pecorine both two of the what 14 guys in the NHL who've scored one mm. you know on his side so I, I think he's I think that should be pretty cool but um what do you what do you think Jeff and what are the other events you're like you're looking forward to I mean I just like the all-star game in itself has kind of worn itself down on me a little bit I think that's kind of the same for a lot of NHL fans but just the skills competition in general is always so fun because you have guys I love that they're including women's hockey players this mm-hmm. year. I think that's really awesome. Um, I'm not sure what they're going to do about Saros and Hellebuck because I feel like they're both pretty solid on breakaways against like actual shooters. So mm-hmm. I'm not really like if it was a few years ago, I would say Hellebuck takes that takes that job all day. But Saros has gotten a lot better than he used to be. Um, but yeah, I love I mean, hardest shooters, probably the one that I look forward to the most every year. Um, mm-hmm. I know that everyone's excited to watch Alex Ovechkin see how hard, see how hard he can shoot the puck. Um, I think the last time he did it, it was oh, a little bit over a hundred miles per hour, which never fails to, uh, 
to he's impress have white hair next year i don't, yeah. I don't know if y'all saw like ovechkin <laughs> right now but the man is like full gray he is a oh, yeah. he, it's not black it's not a little salt and pepper action it's full-on gray that man looks <laughs> that man looks <laughs> old he is in his george clooney stage at this point in his life and the probably the one that i'm also interested in is dylan larkin in the fastest skater mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. the last time he was in the fastest skater was Nashville, and he broke that record. But everyone was kind of like, "There's an asterisk next to it because he got a he got a running start, mm-hmm. and everybody else that has that that has been close to that record didn't." So I'm interested to see how he does in that because everybody knows how fast he is, but just how fast is he? And with Connor McDavid out of it for the foreseeable future. So well, I think. It's interesting you bring up the skills part. And I think for a lot of folks, and I think this is across all sports, is I think all of us are kind of over the game itself. Like the Pro Bowl game was just terrible forever. The NBA All-Star game, nobody plays defense. But what people like is skill stuff. Like these are the best athletes in the world at their particular sport. Like find ways for them to just show how insanely athletic and talented they are. And I think the skills competition is where we get to see that the most, where it's like, I couldn't even fathom being able to do any of this where I think that's the cool thing. And I think that's where hockey should focus is the skills competition because it's just, it's crazy. Like it's one of those things you take for granted just watching the all-star game or these guys on any given night. But if you watch the skills challenge, you're like, what, how do they, how do they even do this? And I think that's what you want as a, as as Gary Bettman or any, any hockey owner. You're like, this is, if we can redo the all-star weekend or really put more emphasis on getting fans attention i think it's the skills competition do you agree brian yeah oh 100 percent. i mean the games are always not great and you mm. know they, they are smart to continue to bring in like you know like internet content creators and things like that to kind of do it i know they're gonna have people uh dude from letter kenny out there they're gonna have a bunch of other people i haven't heard of but i think that's just me being an old man uh but that's Casey Musgraves going to participate. That's what the the good folks want. Is I want Casey Musgraves involved in this in some way. Um, I don't think so. It's yeah. I mean, I'm not sure, but I think that uh, it would be it actually would be great. I want to make sure I'm clear about that. That would be amazing. But I have him all time gold now. Yeah, but I mean, because like the the All Star game, even with the uh, uh, even with like the All Star uh, skills competitions and stuff like that, it's um. It's not that fun, but when you get guys like that, I mean, like the hardest shot's always fun, especially since Nashville always got to watch Shea Weber uh, and his like what, 101, 102 mile per hour slap shot. Um, yeah, and, something like that. And it then, close. yeah, it was, it's pretty crazy. Like, those are great. Like the skating one, I always thought that Roman Yossi would have a pretty good chance at the fastest skater. Um, you know, so like those, those are good, but it's just, yeah, people don't want to watch that. You want something that you can break down into clips and stuff like, I mean, you like, you think about it, even the best all-star thing that exists, the, the dunk contest, like there's a lot of sitting and waiting around and watching mm-hmm. it try, you know, in between you want something you can cut down and show in highlights. And that's what these skills competitions are for. So yeah. I, I think it'll be really cool. Um, I have one more thing about the all-star uh, roster. And I did want to ask you, Jeff, what you thought. Um, and you can't say, you can't say Seth Jones, but Who's the one person you think shouldn't be on on the all-star roster? Because Seth Jones is just too easy enough to answer. Uh, Chandler Stevenson only because it sucks that the Kraken don't have a guy anymore. Hmm. Who was their, their guy? Uh, their guy was Matty Beneers. And oh. then he got hurt because of Tyler right. Myers. And then the NHL put a Vegas guy on instead of a Seattle guy. Why? I don't know. Huh. But that would be my answer. 
Yeah, wow. I think it's not that it has nothing to do with Chandler Stevenson's performance this year. So if there's any Vegas fans like watching this and being like he deserves it, like maybe he does. But like if the NHL is going to stick to that standard where it's one person from every team, then that's kind of ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't like that either. I don't like when they do that. I know that you want to have every team represented and stuff like that, but especially like for a new franchise, like they're they're a new a new team that's actually doing really well this year. And then their all stars hurt by a cheap play from Tyler Myers and now they don't have anybody. It just kind of like sucks. Like I'd be, I'd be upset. Yeah. But. I can understand that. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I think I'm, I'm sitting here thinking about like Stuart Skinner and like, yeah. he's good, but he's not quite on that same level. Uh, but I can't think of who would replace him though from the Pacific, to be honest. I mean, I guess, Gosh, he might be the best one in the Pacific now that I'm thinking about it. Yeah. Who's, I, their, who's their other goalie? Uh, Edmonton? No, uh, uh, the other Pacific goalie. Oh, the other Pacific goalie. It is, let's see here. Stuart Skinner and Logan Thompson. Okay, because that was going to be my answer, but I figured he was already on there. Yeah, I mean, you could, you could make a, a case for Martin Jones. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. he's not bad. He's no. not the Martin Jones we're used to, but yeah. Okay, well, we'll move on. We've got to cover talking about the Preds, <laughs> don't we? <laughs> yeah, well, speaking of the Preds, uh, a move that they did not make, Bo Horvat did not end up in Nashville, and a lot of Preds fans were like, hey, maybe, because like the Preds, uh, you don't know this, Jeff, but like it's been a theme all year long where it's like, we know exactly who the Preds are on this podcast. Mm -hmm. They're going to flirt with 500. They're going to be kind of in that zone where a lot of it's just going to be What's the offense look like this night? Is it going to be here? Is it not? Um, they've had their power play issues. We've seen that. Like As long as they don't play the Stars, they won't go, oh, and whatever. <laughs> Just avoid the Dallas Stars at all at all costs if you're the Preds. But um, did a Bo Horvat deal make sense for Nashville, and once you saw the final price for what the Canucks got from, did it just go? Did you think, all right, then that's okay that Nashville did not ultimately be the team to to trade for Bo? Yeah, I think it was probably for the best. I mean, again, Nashville's in a position, especially with the future of the organization being where it is, that they did not need to go out there and try to go get Bohorvat because then you know not only do they have to take him on for the rest of the year, which he's a great, he's a good player. He would have been, mm. it would have been you know an upgrade, but you know then they're going to have to try and get him extended uh, before he's a free agent this year, and then. Plus, I mean, just the trade itself, like uh, several people have said this, but looking at it again this morning, I, I don't think either team really came out ahead. I mm -hmm. mean, yes, Vancouver needed to to get rid of him, I guess, and they got they got a first rounder back, which is protected this year, which was smart because Islanders, I don't know if they've got enough to push and get, get to the end. I mean, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen because of Ilya Sorokin. Um, but... You know, so that if, if it is a lottery pick, if it's a top 12, then the first round pick gets changed to next year where it's unprotected. So, you know, how, depending on how things go, it could be a very good or bad thing. And then the the also uh, they got back up. Uh, they sent over Anthony Bolivier and uh, and Atu Rati. Is that how you say his name? Atu Rati. Atu, uh, yeah. So like, and they're, they're like Rati, but yeah. Yeah, Rati. He um, let's see what they. So they also kept about a quarter of, they retained about a quarter of the salary on Horvat's deal. So that was about $1.4 million. Uh, I think they break, almost break even by, I think they're short by like 50,000 bucks just from the value of the tra uh, the contracts going back. But, you know, uh, Bolivier is not, he's not been great. He's not been great at all this year. Um, he's slightly above replacement level. 
Um, Roddy's he's got 12 games in New York. This is his first year since coming over from Liga over there in Finland, which he did good last year. I think 47 games had 40 points and 17 goals, I believe, 13 goals. And uh, so he, he's, you know, a, a nice young guy, but I don't think it would have, I mean, equivalent, it would have been like trading Nashville, uh, getting Bo Horvat, sending their first this year, sending Mikhail Granlund, who actually is a compar comparable to Bolivier, which is not a good look for Granlund. And then maybe a guy like, I don't know, um, Philip Tomasino, <laughs> maybe. I mean, that, that would probably be, or, you know, if we go back in time, Ellie Tolvanen um, would probably kind of fit that same. But in, on paper, it's not awful, especially with the way Grandlin has played this season. But you don't want to give up a first round pick, especially with Nashville being right in the middle. I mean, you saw how it was when they just when they didn't make the uh, pass the play in round in the COVID year. And then that's how they ended up with Askarov in the, uh, at 10. So it, it, it didn't make sense to me. And I still don't think it makes sense. But Jeff, I mean, do you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I wouldn't have been the happiest camper if, if David Poyle did that. I, I definitely could understand a little bit of the thought process why he would have. But also just looking at kind of what went back to Vancouver and the salary retention and all of that. I know he wouldn't have done that. Um, but it's just, you know, he, the, the, the first rounder thing is kind of what gets me because with the Nash, with the, with Nashville having the draft this year, I feel like they're going to be, you know, they're obviously going to be looking to upgrade now that they're like three points out of the playoffs or whatever with like 48 games played. But, you know, it's, it's hard because, you know, fans are going to want to come out and watch, watch their team pick in the first round. And if you don't have that, then, yeah. You know, why, why have it here, especially in this draft where you're not getting Connor Bedard at this point, but also, you know, that first half of the first round is going to be guys that are extremely talented either mm -hmm. way. Um, but yeah, I mean, and I'll also, you know, it's kind of a, you know, rough look for David Poyle if he trades Mikhail Granlund at this point um, after just resigning him and then having to resign Bo Horvat after the season, you know, it's just, it's, it would just be, at least from my point of view, it would, it would be kind of a mess. Um, you know, and I, David Poyle wants to win a Stanley cup, but does that, he? That, I feel like, I think he does, but he's, you know, I got my, does he? Does I mean, he yeah, have? you're right though. That doesn't see, it didn't, it would be a bad look on him mm. because he knows, you know, his look is to just send them through waivers and hope that they make it to Milwaukee. <laughs> so. <laughs> That's option a, and then the yeah. next option is trade them for value. Uh, but yeah, it's, it, it would just be, it, it would be a mess. And, and, you know, it would, I like, it's not that Bo Horvat's a bad player. I really think he's good, but it's, it's the logistics of it all would probably make a lot of people question it. And it, you know, as, when it came out that Nashville was interested in him, you could kind of see the response on, on the interwebs and it was mm -hmm. not pretty either. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, either him or Brock Besser is another one I've seen the Preds people talk about a lot. I mean, which in a vacuum, fine. I wouldn't have yeah. an issue. I like Besser a lot. Um, but, you know, it just it doesn't make sense now, especially. I mean, even two years ago, you would argue that it probably wouldn't have made sense to buy at the deadline, but that didn't stop them then. So because we got to go get Wayne Simmons and guys like that, right? And Brian Boyle. Trade a first rounder for Wayne Simmons. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, and and for Ryan Hartman. 
Yeah, I don't, I don't want to talk about Ryan Hartman, but yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, real quick before we go, because I've got a hard out here in a couple mm -hmm. minutes. I wanted to know from, from you, Jeff, um, you know, is there, if Nashville has to get into the trade deadline, who would you like them to try and uh, go after? My choice is uh, Jesse Pugliarvi, just because I think oh, yeah. that's the perfect age. It's the perfect partners develop. I mean, say what you want. Since John Hines has taken over, our forwards, our forwards have developed. Our forwards have gotten better. They're scoring. Once he's given playing time. Yes, yes. Once he's given <laughs> playing time. But I mean, like, if you look at it, like, you're seeing all these peep guys that weren't producing offensively, and all of a sudden, like, last year, you all of a sudden setting all these records on offense. So I think he's a young guy that they can put him in that, that middle – you know, that middle, uh, probably third or fourth line for right now, let him get in time. You don't want to stick him with Colton Sissons or anything like that, but you know, they've got young, good players and he's like, what, 23, 24. So yeah, he's still relatively young. So I think, I mean, I think that's, if you're going to do it, you know, that's who it should be. But do you have any other people that you think would might be, might be a fit? Um, honestly, I haven't really like looked into it a ton. I mean, yes, he has been a name that's been out there for pretty much since he's, Got to Edmonton. I mean, yeah, it's been a while since he has not had his name out on the on the trade deadline target list. Um, and I totally agree. I think that would be a fun one to, you know, he's he's a meme machine and it would be like it'd be great for content, but also like, you know, it would be he's a good he's a solid player that could be great in the middle six. Another name that has been out there and it's it would be, you know, dumb if the Hawks didn't trade him. I feel like I feel like Max Domi would be a fun addition. They'd have to pay to get him, but yeah. like if you were like if David Poyle's serious about this thing, then like that could be someone that they could have in their top six that doesn't have to be rotated out consistently. Like I feel like I feel like there's still that one winger spot in the top six where it's a little bit kind of shaky, not really, you know it's taken a little bit for them to figure it out. And Max Domi, I think would help with that. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, he would probably be a guy I'd look at. And I would also say Gustav Nyquist, but he's hurt. So that kind of sucks. But yeah, Goose um, is not Zeus. yeah it's, yeah, yeah it's well, recovering. Can I, can I propose, can I propose two, two names for you? That, sure thing. Uh, we could do a cheaper, younger version of Max Domi instead and get uh, Colin Blackwell, who's currently sitting right now. Oh, yeah. And, uh, 1.2 goals above replacement, so fine. Making 1.2 million this year and next year could be something you might want to do if you're still trying to get a little bit younger again. Or if you don't want to go the opposite direction, you want to get in a guy that would fit in with this offense, we could bring back Nick Benino. Oh, <laughs> you have no idea how much. In a vacuum, I would be so happy. Yeah, like, I mean, I he's love Nick Benino. Top 5% in the league this season in uh, defense, so I mean... Given that he's still a black hole on offense, like he always has been, but well, considering how bad the Preds defense has consistently been this year, I don't think it'd be the worst decision in the world. We'll talk about that next week because it's <laughs> it's, it's awful, and I talked about it again, but it's it's way worse than I thought. So yeah, uh, well, I appreciate you coming on, Jeff. I it's, yeah. it's been great. Sorry, we have to go a little bit. Uh, Chase Chase and I are are busy, or Chase is much busier than I am. But <laughs> I no, we're this day job. Um, we'd love to have you back, Jeff. Uh, great insight today and uh yeah no preds go on the forecheck.com go support it and the gofundme it's right there you can find it it's very easy do that today follow jeff follow brian all that good stuff and watch all-star weekend uh, it'll be fun go support uc brian 
Jeff, thank you as always. And I'll talk to you both very soon. See ya. Thank you. All right, hello, Illinois Sports Guys. Taping this on a Friday afternoon, 99 The Game, 247 Sports. Garrett Chapman is here. Garrett, good afternoon, sir. How are you? I'm good, man. I'm good. Man of many hats, I guess. I'm a, I, can't, I sometimes forget that I have. I work for 247 Sports again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Until I actually jump in and do it. You know, it's like doing a lot of stuff, man. But no, no, things are good. Life's good down here in Atlanta. Beautiful. Beautiful day. It is beautiful today. It, uh, the, the pup and I will get a good walk in this afternoon because I feel like it's been raining and cold every single day this week. So it's good. The weather looks good. Um, it wasn't that bad. I was back home for the weekend last weekend. Saw the Hawks lose in person. So that was cool. Um, that was that was a fun fun event for my, my wife's first Hawks game in person. Uh, spending so many years now with me watching on the TV and to get in. She had a great time though. Like good. she really got into it. Um, the Chick-fil-A sandwich <sighs> situation was not something that she was happy about where the Clippers missed two free throws in a row. Uh, everyone got a free chicken sandwich. So she was very uh, electric during that uh, fourth quarter portion of the, <laughs> of the basketball game. But um, yeah, it was, uh, it's about what I expected. Uh, AJ Griffin was the second best player on the court. DeJounte Murray was the best, uh, for the Hawks and Trey Young continues to just ruin my day. Like, uh, that was just kind of, um, kind of where we were at. And then Hawks Twitter is just a, a hellscape. Hawks Twitter is an unbelievable, like there is now this belief that because Trey did not make the all-star team, it's like, they just, media just hates Trey. They don't want to put him on. It's like, Trey was not an all-star this year. Like he's not played like an all-star. He's not an all-star. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I, I see why he was left off. I, I didn't yeah. vote for him when I did my voting. I, I, mm. I just didn't. He's irritated me a lot this year. It's maybe because I've had to watch him every week. Um, <clears throat> but you look every single – you look at his games, like watch his individual numbers. Mm. It's completely different than like, when you watch the games and watch him play. Mm. <clears throat> it just feels like he's missing something that he's had in the past. Maybe it was just the fact that he just signed that big deal. And that sort of changes your perspective of who he is, or at least what he should be. Mm-hmm. Um, and he deserves the money. I'm not going to say he didn't deserve that money. He's he's a superstar. He's one of the best players in the NBA. Should he have been an All Star? Yes, he should have been an All Star. But this is just proof that hey, man, it's not a given that you're going to be an All Star. And I think he, in his head, I'm not going to pretend like I know what he's thinking on any given day, but he, I feel like, expects that he expects to be a superstar. And he expects to be treated like a superstar, and he doesn't always treat it that way. Well, maybe look into the like the finer details. You're not shooting the ball very effectively. You're taking bad shots. Um, you're it, it almost feels like when you're taking the game over as of late, it's just because you're not distributing the basketball and the entire flow of the offense just ceases to exist. Those aren't good things. And <clears throat> sure, he might he might have stretches where he scores all ten points, but it helps when you take like. 10 shots and all of the, and you make like what 30% of them. And it, and I'm not saying it's like that every time. It's just, sometimes it feels that way. Um, DeJounte Defensively Murray. too, like it matters. Defense <laughs> matters. And I'm telling you, you watch it in person up close and it's just, he gets lost mm-hmm. so much on defense still. Like it's just, it's really, really hard. Like the difference he's with DeJounte. This year. He, he's been better this year than he has been in the past. I, I think he shows flashes, and I, I, I've been following. Um, I can't remember his name. I think he's soaring, soaring down south, I believe. Mm. But uh, I cannot. Chris, Chris, uh, I can't remember. But 
he does these little video studies where he mm. goes through and he like essentially looks at the tape or whatever. And I go through whenever I see he has one of those threads, I always jump on it and see what I can find. Mm. And there are times where it's like he's not effective, but he knows where he is and he knows when he gets into a bad situation. And he is able to coordinate, move, and, and get somebody else. We saw that against the um, oh shoot on against the Trailblazers specifically. Mm. He got put into a bad spot. And he was able to transition off, and John Collins just up and gets a block. Wait, when the Blazers? He was out the Blazers game. Oh, no, it was the Suns. Then it was yeah. the Suns. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I just saw that. Um, but it, it's like he's not effective on the defensive side, and mm. I think that showed in the the team. And, and he has to get the fan vote, and I think he's almost – I don't want to say he's alienated the fans in Atlanta, but it almost feels like he has. It's got more divisive like yeah. among Atlanta fans where it's <clears> like <throat> there's, there's just like this mutiny now where there's the – the group who's like it's not trey's fault um and then there's the other group that's like are we like i mean there's no contest like Dejounte's a better player like Dejounte does more Dejounte has done more to keep this team afloat this year and to be a 500 basketball team which we'll talk about is Dejounte. like i think there's no question right he's been the best player in the hawks all year long no i mean especially in this little stretch that he's on which yeah. i don't think is necessarily sustainable Mm. he's shooting like 44 percent from three or there's just like wait two weeks or something it's just like i'm sorry he's not it's just not the kind of player that he is but he's been very very good and he's been taking over games in a way that yeah. trey young just really hasn't been doing and he's been doing it on the defensive side yeah so Dejounte has been the best player on the hawks at times i'm not going to go as far as what you were saying where it's like trey was clearly the third best player like I AJ Griffin, AJ AJ Griffin AJ plays thing, within like, his role. AJ knows exactly. AJ what he's has a to good do. role, and he yeah. rarely takes bad shots and looks out of control. Yeah, perfect for he's what such we a good want rookie. out of AJ. Like AJ is <clears> such a good rookie. <clears throat> yeah, so I have seen, and I'm not going to use this moment to dispel anything that AJ's been doing. He's been do- he's done everything that's been asked of him, and he's, he's shooting excelled. like forty percent from three. No, oh, he's ex- he's been exceptional. Yeah, uh, he's doing the Rising Stars Challenge, and he's mm. very deserving. He should have been a lock for that, but. Look, Trey, Trey is still what this team is built around, but I, I don't put, lay this all at Trey's feet. I lay this at the feet of management. Just over the past couple of months, they have just wholly mismanaged this roster. And and I'm not going to say it's because they went and got DeJounte Murray, but they paid, It's in hindsight, it's like you paid a lot of money and you leveraged your entire future for a lot of mediocrity. And it's, it's more just the fact that this team is not performing at the level that we want them to perform at. And this is fresh off of a 32-point win mm-hmm. like a t- where they just dismantled the Suns. They look great. And they played within the flow of the offense, and I loved that. The, the, we see we see those flashes every now and then, and it's as much as the Hawks played well as the Suns played badly. But, you know, it, it's just very frustrating because I don't have that hope for the future that I had maybe earlier this season even. DeJounte Murray and Trey have looked great in spurts, but then have looked really bad at other times. I don't know what they're going to do with John Collins. I don't have faith that they're going to make the right decision. Bogey Bogdanovich hasn't looked like the same guy since that knee procedure over the offseason. He really just hasn't I mean, been the same dude. Well. He, he, I think he's the a Hawks are a better team too. when he's playing well, and he is not playing well at all. And so there, there's a good chance that they move off of that $18 million. But well, we'll save is- that for a second because Bogey. I mean, let's just get into the Bogey now. <clears throat> like he's been popping up in trade rumors, right? And that was something that I saw in Sports Talk ATL, but I forgot who originally was talking about um, that. He's a, oh the Sam oh, the Athletic of the Athletic. Yeah, the Athletic came out and said basically half the league has has come in and inquired about him. Which here's my philosophy in uh, modern NBA basketball and team building. 
trading two 40% three-point shooters uh, in the pace and space league um, in one calendar year is a bold strategy, Cotton, because if you move on from Bogey <laughs> and Herter and this same little group when you're, like, your offense is already in the 20s, like the offense mm-hmm. is already taking a step back from a year ago, um, that's a bad, bad way of doing business. It's a bad strategy, and it's like it, it also, like, Bogey's the kind of guy you want if you're trying to make a deep playoff run. Like, he's a vet, 30-year-old vet who shoots the ball really well, is comfortable next to Trey, Comes someone you can bench. count on who's played in a lot of important playoff series for you already. Like, Bogey should be untouchable right now because you're not going to get the same kind of player on a team that's trying to win the East. Like, it makes no sense for Bogdan Bogdanovich yeah. to be in a trade right now. Yeah, and it's also a situation with John Collins added in there. It's like, I don't see a situation like you were saying like that this Hawks team is not going to get better by dealing those two players. They just aren't. I think at least with JC there's a possibility. Like if you did the JC for uh, Kyle Kuzma and uh, Kuzma's Dylan off the Wright. block. Kuzma's I know that's what available. I'm saying. Like there are things like before stuff. Like you could sell me on there being a path to getting a stretch four who adds more shooting and uh, just could maybe make this team a little bit better than John. I you could sell me on that. Bogey, there's no yeah. Chance. I mean, but it's also, it doesn't make me feel good that they've publicly lowered the asking price. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they, and then they follow up and, and it just feels like this is just the mismanagement of the team. It's a 34 year old general manager with a 27 year old president of basketball operations. They're putting out, they're floating a rumor and then they're immediately coming out public and backtracking on it. And it's like, guys, wh- what's happening? Like, what are we doing over here? They don't know what's in the doing. kitchen. There are too many cooks in the co- kitchen, and I don't think anyone's a Michelin star. You know, it's <laughs> like we're not in a good spot right now. Mm-hmm. You know, and we, we also have haven't been here, de- right? We've never seen what? a trade deadline with this group. Like, we <clears throat> don't know how they're going to operate with this new front office. We have no idea where their heads at. It's it's so stressful mm-hmm. <laughs> because with, there could be. Uh, I'm, I look down on my phone, and there could be a John Collins trade like, mm-hmm. any minute now, and it also could be the this, this situation where we we hit at the. Uh, like what we did at the uh, whatchamacallit, the draft last year, mm-hmm. where nothing happens. And they, they float all of this stuff. They're like, everything's happening. Turns out that there were deals on the table, and they had things that they were going to be doing, but Tony Ressler nixes it. Mm. I mean, it is never a winning combination when your owner gets involved in basketball operations. It doesn't matter. Actually, it doesn't matter what sport it is. If you have an owner outside, like if they're willing to spend money, the, the two worst things. One, they're not willing to spend any money, mm. which in this case, they're not willing to go into that luxury tax. And two, if they meddle in a basketball or, or whatever sports affairs. Tony Ressler's not doing both of those things. That's not a recipe for success. And the Hawks, I have no faith in this organization moving forward. I'm not... It's so hard because, like, the thing with the Hawks is, like, <clears throat> we kind of knew where Travis Slink's head was at. Like, building through the draft, he was that, his best quality was, like, he was really, really good at identifying talent in the draft. Like, he was mm-hmm. really, really good at that. Really sharp. But, like, he was conservative with dealing picks, with team building and like i i don't think he would have been the one to move herder uh, my gut tells me still that he would have kept him um he was a good a good find for schlink uh years ago now and i think core piece good shooter i just it does not strike me as someone who came from the warriors fo that he would have moved on from herder if that was not like a ownership call of like we got to get under we gotta we gotta save some money here and herder has to be a fall guy here um I just, it's weird with Kyle Korver being the assistant GM, if you really send Bogey out with this group, it's like, what kind of team, like, what does the offense look like? Who are you counting on to hit shots if you are gone from Herder and Bogey in this rotation? Two guys who played, like, a 
previously mentioned like i just it's an unknown but like him popping up john collins has been popping up forever but like i have no idea what kind of team that uh, landry fields and kyle corver and this front office and tony wrestler's son wants to build because like there's I, I i just don't know like i i th- i don't know how they feel about trey i don't know how they feel about capella i don't know how they feel about collins like is there a mixture in where they see this team going like the only thing i know for certain is they're upset I'm certain of where the team is right now. Like being a 500 mediocre team with all this investment in DeJounte. The thing about DeJounte, he's been good. Like it's not really DeJounte's fault that they're at 500 right now. I think the picks and everything was a lot and we'll see what ultimately that does this team uh, years down the line. But like, I think the returns are DeJounte's a really good player and a borderline all-star. Like DeJounte's a really good basketball player for this team and could be like, he kind of reminds me like best case scenario is like the Drew Holiday type for what he is in Milwaukee, right? Where he's just great uh, first team All NBA defense, can hit shots when he needs to, but good mid range guy, um, just a pain in the ass in your closing five. Like he is just going to be a pain in the ass, and you don't want to be guarded by him for forty eight minutes. But I don't know. I I'm not mad about the Dejounte trade. He's been good. No, and and don't think this is me getting mad at Dejounte or the deal itself, but. You leveraged a large portion of your future for it. Mm. And on top of it, there's no guarantee that he's going to be here outside of next year. <sighs> I mean, there's a chance that Trey and DeJounte are not. I don't know pops. how you can do that and feel good. Because the thing is, is like if we go, we deal those picks, those are potentially lottery picks. Mm. They're unprotected lottery picks. Yeah. And uh, this is a situation like if you have. Like, the Hawks control their own pick this year, right? Mm. Outside of that, they don't really control anything. And if Trey, God forbid, Trey Young gets hurt, like, next year or something, Mm -hmm. this team is out. (laughs) They're done. They're done. And then then it's like, there's just so much leveraged into, into DeJounte Murray. And I love DeJounte Murray as a player. I don't have any security that he's going to be here and I don't know if how the offense is going to work with him. Even we're in February, and we've seen spurts of it really looking great, and then spurts of it looking really dadgum awful. And the shooting has been miserable. Nothing has improved. I have seen no improvement. They are just a 500 basketball team that's just been mediocre. And I have no vision. I have. No, I feel like I'm just ranting at this point. But it's like there's no vision. There's no vision. There's no security. There and then there's no future. Because you leveraged it all for for your mediocrity that you have right now. We could have just run back what we had last year, and I think we would have been a better situation. Just because of the way that the team plays. I think if, even if you make this trade and you keep Herter, I think this team is still, the upside is like a top four seed. I, when they're healthy. Like, I still think that that's, that would have been fine. Like, if our nine was uh, Trey, DeJounte, DeAndre, John, Clint, Anyeka, Bogey, Herder and AJ. Dude, we, wouldn't have it, we wouldn't be having this conversation. No, we just. That's wouldn't. a really, really deep good nine. That's a nine I trust. It's a, a good group of vets and young guys. Like, especially mm. with AJ too. You play eight. You have. Oh my god! It's just so irritating. Just thinking about the situation that the Hawks are in right now. Mm. It's very frustrating and. I know that we have the the stat that Brad Roland put out. Yeah, it's, the, it's the, the Brad most Roland incredible thing. I yeah, I'll let you read it if you have it in front the of, most you have it in front of mid, you. The mid stat, like, this blew up for Brad. Go check out Lockdown Podcast or Lockdown Hawks. Uh, he does great work covering the Hawks. But 
uh, Sports Center picked it up, and it's the Hawks are twenty six and twenty six. The Hawks are seventeen and seventeen against the East, nine and nine against the West. Uh, the Hawks are eight of uh, fifteen teams uh, in the East. The Hawks have scored six thousand fifty seven points. The Hawks have allowed six thousand fifty seven points. Like that's just that's bonkers, man. That's un- unreal. And hey, credit to Brad for finding that stat. That's a that's a that's a badass stat. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it's just. It is the most unbelievable season. Well, it's actually perfectly believable. I mean, like it's it's just immaturity from Trey mm-hmm. mixed with lack of stability from Tony Wrestler mixed with uh, an unadaptable head coach in Nate McMillan. Mm. Uh, I don't know what you hope to see at this point. I'm I'm so off on this Hawks team as it stands right now. Like look, could they figure something out and and maybe they just start shooting better? I mean, John Collins when John Collins shoots well, this team is pretty damn good on offense yeah. at least above average when john collins is shooting well and i think he's been shooting better i think his finger is consider- cons- consistently getting better but the thing is now they're about to go out and dump him for somebody else maybe i don't know we've been maybe. down this road like i mean look this this uh, barring some crazy move they mm. need a big win at the trade deadline but that's where i run into the situation where i would have trusted travis schlink to make mm. a good move that was going to benefit the Hawks, not just this year, but in the, in the foreseeable future. Mm. I have no confidence in, in Landry Fields. I have no confidence in, in in any of these other folks. I mean, I just don't. Kyle Korver, I mean, sure, he's... I actually saw this one idea that was floated. I don't know who told me, but mm. Kyle Korver is the insurance plan for when Nate McMillan, if Nate McMillan walks away. As coach? Yeah. It's the only person who, with like legitimate experience of any kind, even then he doesn't really have a lot. Of I mean, experience. Nick he's been coming in and coaching. He's been he's been like an assistant coach. He's who else would there be? Ime Udoka. Sure, in a per, in a perfect world. No, perfect I don't want to hire. I I'm still like I'm not even joking. I think he's the next coach of the Hawks. Like I would be. I like, would love that. Look, I, I mean, if he does that, and then maybe we'll have some direction. <laughs> so, it's some consistency. I'm just so frustrated with the state of the Atlanta Hawks right now. And then uh, it's more just the fact, like, like like I said, the consistency has just been irritating. I have no idea what's going to come out on the floor tonight. I mean, I feel like Trey, now having been snubbed from the All-Star game, is going to come out and he's going to shoot probably 15 threes and try, and try to go bonkers. Like, like if What's you have, shooting? If you, is he even over 30% right now from three? Well, let me see. He's shot horribly. This he's whole season, been, we're not 50 he's had games. stretches where he's shot like under 10%. He is he's at, 42% from the field. His last 10, he's shooting 30% from three, which is below average. Uh, this year, he's 32%, which is below average. Yeah. Does it feel like he's shooting eight free throws a game? No. Isn't that weird? He shot less last year, 7.3, but... Um... I don't know. For whatever reason, it doesn't feel like he's shooting. But the two-point percentage is down. He was 51% last year, 48% this year. Um, yeah, He's just been frustrating, know. man. He's been frustrating. Uh, it's it's just top to bottom, this whole roster. I don't, I don't know. I, I'm I'm normally Mr. Positive on this mm-hmm. podcast, you know? Like, I'm normally super positive and ready to look forward and, and everything else. I just don't see it right now. And this next week is going to be very important. Because I mean, if they if they win these next two games or a couple of games and they look good over this next week, mm. uh, they're not going to make a move. They're not going to do anything. They're going to stand pat. I'm just not going to pretend to have any any pulse 
Um, I have no this runoff. I have no idea. Do. I had like, that's a wild guess. Mm-hmm. Like, I, it's just this whole thing because I don't know what they're going to do tonight. I mean, they yeah. can come out and and play like they did on Wednesday Utah, and, right? and go lights out, or maybe they could not. And maybe they'll just like, throw up bricks. I just expect Trey's going to force the force the issue tonight. So we'll see. We'll Hawks, see. you're making Garrett pull his hair out and shake it all up like he's Jim Carrey over here, where he's I'm like, losing my mind. Where he's like. <laughs> I'm losing my mind over here, man. I'm telling you. Um, the Falcons, though. The hair in New D.C. You excited? Mm-hmm. You excited yeah, about the I'm Nielsen interested. era? I'm, I'm interested. You know, like it's it's one of those situations where uh, I would have liked to have seen like Vic Pangio or one of those other guys. I don't know. Nielsen kind of came out of left field for me, but look. Yeah, he wasn't even like on the rumored list forever. Like no. we talked about it, like all the names, like we've had all the names forever. Like he was not someone who had popped up on anything. And then, and it's like it, in, in retrospect, retrospect, it's like we should have had him on there. Cause Terry Fontenot being new Orleans guy yeah. and the new Orleans connections of like, Hey, have you thought about interviewing Ryan Nielsen? Uh, Arthur, he's pretty good. He does good work with cam Jordan and company down there. in uh, in new Orleans, they have a pass rush. Generally speaking, uh, Davenport's developed well. Like they, they know uh, what they're doing. Davenport's been kind of mid. He's okay. Hey, you know they've, what? I would take, developed I, a, I would lot take of, a Davenport a lot of... over what this team has developed on the edge before. Like it's a step up in that yeah. regard. Yeah. So I think he does fit the bill of like what this team wants to do. I think mm. they want to. Well, Nielsen just sort of fits. I mean, like they want to stop the run. They want to get after the quarterback. That's fine. He has no. He has very little experience calling plays, if any at all. Mm. Um. I'm I'm optimistic. He's a developmental guy. He he develops talent very effectively. He has a a long history of doing that. And look, if the Atlanta Falcons can do that, I'm all in. I love it. So, I think it's it's a TBD, obviously. But for now, I give it a B. It's not super splashy, but I think it's going to be a a good hire long term. I mean, he's he's a strong track record. He did Mm -hmm. it. He did in New Orleans for a long time. I mean, Arthur Smith has coached against him now for two years. Terry Fontenot worked with him. They clearly saw enough to get, get this guy an opportunity. So I trust the process as as of right now with the Atlanta Falcons. Strong Ed Ordron connection to use his defensive line coach at Old yeah. Miss. Way back in the day, was with him at USC. <clears throat> he was on this coach with the staff at Old Miss, wasn't he? Yeah. And then yeah. he tried to hire him his last year at LSU as his defensive coordinator, and he got a promotion out of it with the mm-hmm. Saints and became assistant head coach and all that. I don't know. I think it's fine. Like it, In the end, I think this is fine, and I think he'll be – He'll be solid, um, and it's a it's worth a swing. I'm not really solid. Better than better than what we've had. I mean, yeah. Dean Pease was. I think Dean Pease was pretty good for what we had. He was fine. I mean, yeah. he was good for what we had. Uh, I think Nielsen is a guy who's going to get this team into like the middle of the uh, middle of the road, mm. which I think is perfectly fine. Complimentary. Dude, they brought defense. him in clearly. Like we got to fix the pass rush. Like this was a full on. We are addressing the defensive line. Like that's what oh, we're doing here. I mean, maybe we should have done that ten years ago. But that's just me. Yeah. So we'll <laughs> see. I think Nielsen's an interesting hire. How much? How much of a say do you think he's going to have in the uh, draft process? Do you think he's already out? In, he was out of the Shrine Bowl. Mm. He coached the Shrine Bowl. Um, how much of an impact do you think he has? I mean, I think he's going to have a big one. Like, I think he and Terry Fontenot are going to be like co-running this defense together. Like the connection of like, hey, this is who I like. What do you think? Sure. And so we'll I think see. he'll. Yeah, we'll I think, see. This feels like a Terry Fontenot hire more than an Arthur Smith hire, which is kind of weird. No, I, I... I mean, Arthur Smith, I feel like, has done a good job of, of kind of, like, taking his hands off of the defense. Yeah. Ed Dean Pease, 
and I think Beasley was a guy either. who kind of trusted unilaterally to just sort of like take take the reins and like here you go. Yeah. I'm going to focus on offense. Of course, he's going to be head coach and like he's going to hear and yeah. be a part of those meetings or whatever. But I mean, Dean Pease was a guy he trusted to do that, and I think Nielsen, co-defensive coordinator for a while, mm-hmm. now he's just going to be calling plays. But I, I feel like. People are way too concerned about the going from three four to four three and switching back and forth between that. It's and I'm so like, hybrid. The NFL yeah, is so like, hybrid. I'm not now. worried about it, stuff like that. They go back and forth. Um, the Falcons I mean, and Nickel a bunch. Like I'm Dean not concerned Pease about it. was a multiple front. I mean, he yeah. had, he did multiple fronts all the time. Uh, we'll see what he ends up doing. I think it does potentially affect like the kind of defense that he wants to call. Mm. Based off what I was seeing, like there are some folks. It's like if you go get like a Vic Fangio, I think Vic Fangio would have changed the dynamic of the, like, the actual getting personnel of the defense a little bit more. one of those Shanahan types, like one of the disciples of Shanahan. He was either going with Kyle or he was going with Mike McDaniel. Like you were not going to get in the Vic Fangio business. I no, but no, but I mean, like what I'm saying is like if you go get a guy like that, you would have to change your personnel just a little yeah. bit more. Like you would need more depth at defensive back because he often would run like five defensive backs out there. Yeah, and Nielsen isn't that much. I mean, granted, he wasn't calling the plays, but. It doesn't feel like he's going to be doing that. He's, I feel like he's going to be kind of more balanced and, and have more size in the middle of the field. And I think we're mm-hmm. we need we need some help in the middle of the field. I mean, we need help all over the defense, but that's it'll be interesting. Like, to can see. he develop? That's my main thing. Is I'm not worried about complex. Give me a defensive line, how does please. He please, yeah. Lord, give me a defensive line. I I just want something, something. Yeah, if he does <laughs> just that, some then I'm happy. Consistency there. Right. If he does we'll that, see. I'm happy. Like that's yeah. all. And we're he's a, but, for. but he's a guy who's developed talent there like on the defensive line too so it's like i i don't i'm not i'm thinking specifically with draft mm-hmm. like it doesn't scream to me that he's gonna force the issue and draft the best overall defensive lineman mm-hmm. obviously it depends on how it falls but i'm very torn about what i would want to do with that pick I, i'm almost at the level of a, i kind of want to trade it unless the guy that you want falls I did a PFF mock late last night, and Will Anderson fell to eight, and I was like, "Oh, that's not happening." That's no, not happening. But <laughs> if that like, happens, somebody's on somebody. So everybody in front of him is being fired. I don't want Miles Murphy. I don't want a Clemson. See, I don't want guy. one of those Clemson guys. I, I don't yeah. know. I I just keep falling off of those guys. Like I, the Texas Tech pass rusher. I could take him. I just don't Tyree want to, or whatever his name is. Yeah, I just maybe one of those. Maybe just take rusher, the, the best cornerback on the board. I don't think they'll go corner that high. That's too. It's, it is a little high. That's why I'm saying trade. Maybe maybe trade back. Maybe offensive tackle and let Caleb McGarry walk. That's my whole thing. Is I. <clears> that's <throat> where I've been steering is offensive tackle. Like I think that's probably where. Like Paris Paris Johnson. Yeah. Or you go. I think you go edge if best. I, like I'm okay with best player available edge and then Darnell Wright, who is just not just because I'm a Tennessee guy, but he'll be there early second. Like I think that would be perfect yeah, for them. He's I've seen a him right drop tackle guy. Drafts. He's great. I think he would slide in right away. Just uh, he'd be a really good player. I would. Um, I don't know. I think that's you. You need to start in the trenches if you're Terry Fontenot. Uh, I think this draft. is going to be a trenches draft. That's yeah. really what I see out of this one. But I've that'd been be wrong fun. Before there we go. Um, Matt Olson in year two. I want to do this each week. I want to have like one Braves player as we get ready for spring training in the start of the season. Of what we're looking for out of them. What are you looking for? To improve of the part view legend matt olson what are you looking for him to improve on from last year garrett uh consistency um mm. i felt like we saw a lot from him where he was sort of up and down a bit mm. he was riding the wave a little bit too much for my liking especially but that's also because we're, we were comparing matt olson to freddie freeman who was just mr consistency whether that was mm. on defense or at the plate matt olson had sp- spurts where 
his glove was terrible at times. And the other times where he was just <laughs> was miserable at the plate. Mm. Um, the power, I think, it showed up later in the season. Um, it's just the consistency side of it. I mean, he was Mr. Double Machine last year, and I think the, I think he's going to get more hits. I think he's going to be a little bit... I just think he's going to be a better player. He's going to get that OPS up a little bit more. Um, what was it? low 800s or something last year I, I could see him jumping up into the higher 800s lower 900s just continuing to develop and, and get comfortable here in Atlanta uh, I just didn't see him develop that comfort until later in the season like once we got into like August or so uh, like even just being down in the locker room in the clubhouse he was kind of off on his own a little bit early in the season and just kind of and maybe that was just because maybe it's just he was that stage of the year or whatever but or when we were down there, but it just felt like he was on his own a lot, and he developed some more chemistry with the team and everybody else, and I, he looked better as the year went on, but I, I just want to see that a little bit more. Great defense. He's a great defender at first. It's funny, too, like the, stri- the strikeout percentage. <clears throat> In 2020 with Oakland, 31% strikeout rate. 2021, uh, 16.8%. And then back with Atlanta, 24%. He struck out a pretty hefty amount. Didn't mm-hmm. walk a bunch. His walks, his walk rate was the lowest it's been since 2019. Um, but the home runs were there. Like the power was there. Um, 34 homers. He had 39 uh, in 2021. So that was pretty consistent. But WRC Plus was significantly down. Still above average player. So like 100 is average. And he was 120 uh, for the Braves last year. He was 147 when he was just playing like an all-star level with Oakland in 2021. But like you said, down the stretch, he, I think, got more and more comfortable. And yeah. I mean, Zips has him projected for a 137 WRC Plus, which is high, high uh, productive um, WRC Plus for them. And 30, 37 dingers. Like 37. Like I want him to get to 40. 40 I want to. I, I see 40 out of him this year. Yeah. I could really see 40 i want to see him get on base a little bit more too he was yeah i'm looking at his stats now he was 325 on base percentage i want to see homer little... strikeout and that was kind of it he's got to work yeah. more on that or maybe a walk yeah he'll walk he was walking he was homering or he was striking out mm-hmm. or hitting a double yeah there was no not much else <laughs> between there mm-hmm. i think that accounted for for damn near every single one of his hits well now i know i'm actually and curious. i also think he has to kind of take like one of the things that was interesting was when you were listening to um, uh, Travis Darno. I was reading a piece with Dave O'Brien about Darno and uh, the Dansby departure, right? And the Braves have lost two leaders in the clubhouse in back-to-back years. Mm-hmm. So Freddie Freeman two years ago. Now you lose Dansby this year, and Dansby seems like he was the. They called him like the sheriff or something uh, mm-hmm. in the clubhouse. So you lose him. And they were like, well, we don't really have a leader right now. It's basically what they were saying is like, those were the two big ones the last two years. So it's like someone has to step up. And you kind of wonder, you're like, Michael Harris is really young. It's asking a lot. Vaughn's obviously super young. Austin Riley is an obvious one. Um, I don't think it's in Acuna's nature. Uh, he doesn't strike me as that kind of guy. Um, not a bad thing. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm just saying he doesn't strike me as that kind of guy. And Ozzy, I think, strikes me more as that kind of guy. But I think Matt Olson at 28 years old, I think he kind of needs to step up as a leader. I think he's, I mean, he's locked in long-term. I'm interested to see what players say about uh, Matt this year from a leadership perspective, because he's a quiet kid. Like he's like, when you see him do an interview, like uh, he was on like starting nine or something the other week. And I'm like, huh. And I don't think I've ever actually watched a Matt Olson interview. Like he's not 
not a vocal dude. He's just a quiet, quiet. go about his business kind of guy. Um, but I wonder if he takes more of a leadership role with this team with um, Dansby out the door. No, I I don't. He's a so logical think decision. He's think a logical leads? decision. Yeah. Um, just looking at the guys in the locker room, it. I really I think it's gonna be it's got to be Ozzy to me. Yeah. It's just having seen the way these guys interact he needs with to each play, other. Though. Like, he needs to be healthy and available to be that leader. Well, we, I mean, night, I, night he was going to be ready to go in the NLCS, and I, yeah. I think he'll be fine. Largely, I mean, that's the thing. Last year was more of an anomaly for Ozzy. Mm-hmm. He's been healthy his entire career with with rare exceptions, like outside of like maybe minor dings and bruises or whatever. But mm. he's been extremely healthy for the course of his career, and um, I, I see no reason for that to change, or at least to expect it to change. Um, I expect him to step into that kind of leadership role. I think Von Grisham and Michael Harris are still a little too immature, and I, I'm not and I'm not saying that as a knock. I'm just saying it's because they're 21 years old. Uh, mm. They're just kids, and uh, I mean, I could look at like a, like a Travis Darno, somebody like that, uh, just sort of like a steady hand in the locker room. I mean, we know his. Uh, yeah, I mean, like Ozzy's that guy for me. And I'd like to see Matt Olson jump into that role. He's just not very vocal, you know, mm-hmm. and he's not very like he walks into a room and he's like in the corner, you know, it's like that. And that's not a bad thing. It's just the way that he is. It's kind of how Ronald is too. Ronald does his own thing, mm-hmm. you know, and I'd like to see Ozzy jump into that role in the future. It's, it's Austin Riley, somebody, a, a consistent sort of dude. Travis Arno is the other one I just keep coming back to. Hmm. Just in my head. I'm just I'm like looping through the roster right now. But yeah, the could be interesting. That's gonna be a very interesting thing to follow, especially early in the season, spring training. Um, I know Grant McCauley's going down there for ninety two nine. Uh he'll be going down to spring training, and that's gonna be a question that I absolutely ask him when uh whenever I check in with him. There you go. I like it. Um but we'll see. I think I'm I'm pretty optimistic. I, do you think he's an all star this year? Who? Olsen. Think he's an all-star? Well, I mean, it doesn't help that you had Paul Goldschmidt, who just had an unbelievable season. Older guy, though. Yeah, I, I, don't, I think Goldschmidt. I, I would be very surprised if Goldie does, comes in and does similar to what he's he did 35. Last year. Yeah, he's 35. Yeah, that was an incredible season mm-hmm. from him. Um, I, I think he I could think there's push a path for him being an all-star. There's a path. There's definitely a path. I, I'd like to see him kind of elevate his game into that level. Um, mm-hmm. I think it just completely depends on who he's going up against. I mean, who's what's that first, the first baseman for the I mean, it's Freeman. <laughs> well, Freeman, Freeman, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Freeman's going to be there, but who's the first baseman for the, the, the Phillies? What's his name again? Is it, it's not Rizzo. No, it's, shit. um, why am I blanking? Not Reese Hoskins. Um, no, uh, why am I blanking? Oh my God. Why am I blanking on his name? Is it Reese Hoskins? Is he for like I was gonna say like it it sounded wrong when I said it out loud. Uh, maybe it is. Hold on, I'm pulling it up. This is uh, yeah, it's Reese Hoskins. That's what I thought. Okay, I said Reese yeah. Hoskins, but I did not feel great about it. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, maybe not Reese Hoskins. I mean, he could be. He's a good player, but I don't, he's not a guy. He's better Trey than Reese Turner Hoskins. on the Phillies. He'll be better also, than by the way. Reese. Yeah. Trey Turner on the Phillies. The NL East is so good, man. The East, it's going to be a lot of yes. fun. This I'll is going to be a great baseball season. Yeah. I mean, the Braves. I think the Braves have a chance to be better this year than they were last year mm. just across the board i mean you lose dansby which sucks that's gonna be a big void to fill 
Um, but a full Alonso season of Ronald, a healthy Ronald Acuna. The things that I've been hearing from the camp, I, I guess it's always going to be positive about those kinds of players mm. uh, this time of year. But what we've been seeing from from him down in like Venezuela, mm. oh oh my God, he's, it looks like he's back to normal Ronald Acuna, you know. And I love to see that. And the thing is, you add a guy like that to your lineup, you're you're immediately elevating your entire team. I mean, Ozzy Albie's coming back is going to be a, a major improvement. Sean Murphy, he's going to be a major improvement of consistency at the catcher position, at least at the plate. This is going to be a good team. Mm. If they figure, if they answer some of those questions, like in left field and at shortstop, and we get some sort of consistency at short, and maybe a little bit healthy Eddie Rosario in left field, and then Mike Soroka, what are you going to do with the fifth spot? If, if you're the guy in the fifth spot in the rotation, this team could absolutely win 100 games. And... Maybe that's enough to win the division for the, what, sixth year in a row. Alex Anthopoulos still hasn't lost the division. It's kind of wild. It's incredible. And he's not the favorite again. Like, I, I just keep waiting for it not Who's to the, run out. The Mets are the betting favorite The Mets are the betting favorite, yeah. They I mean, they should Philly be. The Mets were better than the Braves York, for the majority man. of last year. Like, the Braves had an Here amazing the end. They third last year. I mean, like, they were they were still the best. Like, every game matters, and the Braves finished strong. But, like, the Mets were the best team in the division for three-fourths, four-fifths of the calendar, and they didn't well, really Well, they collapse. were number one in the standings. They were yeah. by far the most consistent team. They played yeah. They played at a 100-win 100 100 pace the entire yeah. season. And they got better this offseason. Yeah. I got Verlander in there. Like The, the rotation's older, but they're, the Mets are going them. to be a problem. I, there are a lot of teams that I don't trust. Um, like Brandon Nimmo. Brandon Nimmo's a guy who's played... He's 30-some-odd years old. They just signed him to an eight-year contract, and he's only had 100-plus games played twice in his career. Mm -hmm. And he's just Mr. Inconsistency. When he's good, he's very good. Don't get me wrong. He runs the first very hard. He he also is probably the most irritating person in the division. But <laughs> He runs the first. That's he runs to first, and it's very annoying. He's also just a cocky piso at below wow the he's he's really annoying he's the one who's like oh the braves are just mad that everyone's talking about us it's like no it's just the people in new york if you guys were outside of new york you would be completely you would be the kansas city royals wow i mean come on i mean they're the mets wow. they're the mets man wow i'm not a big fan of the mets i don't like the mets very much i will i will come out on this podcast publicly say i'm not a fan of the mets i don't like them i'll say publicly publicly privately anywhere mm. i don't like the mets the more you know yeah, the more you know, Garrett. <laughs> wow. No, but the Mets will be a good team. They're going to be a good team. They're going to. I expect There's a little bit of regression. The Verlander, like, Verlander. Yeah. I don't know if he can continue to being just an absolute superhuman. Mm. It fools Aaron to bet against him, but yeah, they're going to be. He's good. getting old. He's what thirty-eight years old, thirty-seven. I mean, they got Scherzer. I mean, they Lindor, Scherzer, Scherzer's arm. You've year. seen Scherzer's arm give out. The longer these see, the it's giving out. Earlier and earlier and earlier in the season. Look, they, they've leveraged their entire pitching rotation, for the most part, into two 38-year-old pitchers. Mm -hmm. That doesn't make me too super Quintana's comfortable. Quintana's there, Carrasco. Tejan Walker. I mean, they have some talent outside of those guys. No, Walker's gone. Tejan Walker's there, isn't he? No, he's gone. I forgot oh, where he signed, he... but he's gone. They lost him and Bassett. Him and Bassett are gone. Oh, he went to the Phillies. Never mind. Yeah. That's what I was reading. 
I was reading a I was reading like a preview from the Athletic or something like that, and mm-hmm. had the, they, I saw Tajian Walker, and I was like, oh, I guess I was reading the Phillies thing. They were marked right next to each other. It's like yeah. the Braves were ranked third. Was it the Athletic just put out their early preseason power rankings? They have the mm-hmm. Braves third and the Mets like fifth or something like that, and the Phillies fourth, something mm-hmm. like that. I don't know, but. I think yeah, the Braves, it's just, we'll then. see what we have in Von Grossman at short, like, and we'll see what left field looks like. I think that might be the difference, is how, we'll what left field looks like, how long Alex Anthopoulos waits to see what happens there. You put like Wilson much, in the two spot? Yeah, DH spot, because they're going to have to play a zone at the DH every night until they no. can't. Travis Darno. I don't know. Travis I think they're going to, I think they're yeah. going to use Darno more at the catcher spot. I think they're going to use Darno. Then to, Sean Murphy's going to be your designated. I don't hitter. think they want to use Sean Murphy every day. I think they want to get no, Darno we'll at like him two a break or, every now and then, but Ozuna's not going to be their everyday designated. Hitter. I think that's what the plan is. No, he'll be your occasional designated. No, hitter. that man is going to be de- I guarantee you he gets the most designated multiple times starts a week. Uh, multiple the, times a week. But how many? A few times, multiple times a week. So two to three times. So a if they week. play, I, I'll say this: if his, if the Braves play one week where it's they play six six games, I think he's at least the DH four times. No, I'm not gonna go that six okay. times. Yeah. Maybe on the high end. He's he's getting over half until they have to face it. Like until the DFA Marcelo Zuna, that man is gonna eat up DH spots. Well, hopefully can't play he comes in and is actually worth a, a quarter of a crock. But we'll see. We'll see. Um, Strider, last thing, changed his number to ninety nine because Major League is his favorite Wild movie. Wild thing, man. Is that he's he's fun, man. Spencer I love Strider's Strider. fun. I love Strider. I, I don't, he's cool. He's he's awesome. I, <laughs> I feel he's bad young, for fans. How many fans already got the ninety five? And he's only getting though? better. How many fans already got the ninety five Strider jersey though? Oh, a bunch. Like that's messed up. I will like, I buy saw that. My first thought, I'm like, that's messed up, man. They nah, do it now. Better do it now than like middle of your career. I just he think... couldn't really change his number last year. He was a rookie. Who knew that yeah. he was actually going to stay on the uh, stay up there? I'll go buy a True. 99 Strider jersey. You're kidding me? Yeah. What's but a better? Sh- it's a better investment than Max. You know what Freed? the Braves should do? The Braves should allow anyone who got a 95 this past year to be able to trade it in for a 99. One year of 95, and you sell the jerseys and it's gone. No, can't do it. Yeah, but then you have a collectible item. Rookie year, Spencer Strider. I don't know if that's a collectible item. Rookie year, Spencer Strider. We'll see 15, 20 years maybe. from now if that's a big one. But maybe that'd be fun. I don't know. 99, like, uh, I got the Olsen. Olsen was the safest when I went this offseason. I think I was texting you about it. I'm like, who's the safest? And he's a part view guy. He was, went to high school with his brother. Like, go part view all the way. Hail part view. Yeah. But um, he feels the safest. I feel like Matt Olson's going to be a brave for like the next 12 years. So I've I got my Austin Riley. Austin Riley's a pretty safe, safe too. one. Austin Riley's very safe. That was, he was my World Series one. Mm. Like the the beautiful gold jersey that I got. Because mm. I have a white and a blue Ronald Acuna. And then I have a, a the gold Austin Riley. And that's mm. all I have. My wife almost got... I love the, jerseys. She almost got the Deshante at the Hawks game. Like She was really into that peach... Peach DeJounte it's a good like, looking jersey. The more I is. see it actually in play, it looks it's a really good looking jersey. I, I'm also Peach just and black a looks for good. consistency. Huh? Peach and black looks good. Like it's a really yeah. good look. Yeah. The MLK uniforms and look was awesome. Like those are really good. I like when they do that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know, but I'm I still stick with my Kirk Heinrich uh, red and blue and my the good Kirk man. Heinrich. You're a good man. Uh, who could forget? Um, there you go. Garrett Chapman, what can the good folks check out from you across uh, 247 and 929 the game this week? The Dopey Millennials are back tomorrow. Tomorrow Ooh. afternoon. Oh, yeah. 
th- uh, 11 o'clock to 3.45. We're That's getting a long ready show. for uh, men's basketball. Mm. Some college basketball action. I think Purdue's playing. So mm. we'll have that. And then on Sunday, just producing all weekend for uh, for 92.9. So it's going to be a lot of fun. There you go. Call Busy me if weekend. you want some Tennessee takes and all that. Tennessee plays at 2.40, at two o'clock against Auburn. Mm-hmm. Ooh, that'll be a good game. Mm-hmm. Auburn's Auburn's very up and down right mm-hmm. now. They're one of those teams that I, I don't really know what to expect from them on any given night. But their offense isn't very good. Tennessee should roll. Yeah, Tennessee I expect should Tennessee roll to win. on Saturday. I expect Tennessee to win. But all they right. didn't look very good against. Uh, was that Florida? That you you're cutting out. To? I don't know. I don't know. Wait, you're... Garrett, are you there? Garrett, basketball's a, college basketball Garrett? this year. It's a lot of there's a lot of uh, fluidity, man. It's going to be yeah. an interesting tournament. This is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, and baseball. We're like two weeks away from college baseball with the Tennessee Volunteers smacking the holy hell out of America once again. The best villains on the face of the, the greatest earth. team of all time, right? They were the greatest team of all time last year. That's all true. Did, did they make it out of the super regional? That mean, which, which one did they lose? It's crazy. It was super regionals. But they didn't even yeah. make it to the damn dance. The last three number ones <laughs> haven't. UCLA. Are they also the greatest teams of all time? No. That Tennessee team was special. It was good. It was really good. It would have been a lot of fun. That's baseball, though. Yeah. That's baseball. I mean, you can't tell Chase me the Dolan Dodgers were the best team in baseball year? last year. All Chase, all the time. Chase Dolander, Chase Burns, Chase Thomas. Everything comes up, Tennessee. Uh, volunteers when your name chase like it's just there a good go. good place to be garrett chapman always a pleasure and uh, i will talk to you next week this has been ingram radio voice of the atlanta braves and i'm here to tell you that you've reached the end of today's episode of the chase thomas podcast as a friend of the podcast i'd like to say thank you for listening to today's episode and hope you return for the next one to show your support for the program tell a friend or co-worker or even a family member about the program. And if you're an Apple Podcast listener, leave the show a rating and a review. It goes a long way. That'll do it for me. But don't forget to listen to myself and the rest of the team at 680 The Fan and the Braves Radio Network this season. Go Braves! Chase, I think I'm going to hear more about you. I really do. I think you've got a way about you, but you're interviewing, mm-hmm. your um, pleasantness, you're smart. So I think I'm going to hear big things about you. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas podcast. Hell yeah.